Hello everyone, welcome to episode 62, a Ruin episode of Realm in Ruin, a Warhammer podcast. A podcast mm-hmm. that is so Warhammer that, like custodies, we have our many names on our armour. Well, <laughs> in our case, it's t-shirts and shorts, and it's so we don't lose them. But, yes. <laughs> hey, I'm your host Matt, and joining me as always, a guy who looks in his local store for conversion ideas, like a chef peruses a pantry, it's Cameron. How are you doing, mate? I'm doing very well, thank you. I did not really think of that analogy before, but that is absolutely what it is when I go poking around my local games workshop like, ooh, what's this? What, what spices can I add to this sweet treat? Well, that, exactly. That. I mean, that's how I've always imagined it, because obviously we're many miles apart, so I, mm, you know, mm. I've never... You know, unless someone films it for me, I've never spectated you in a, a local store. <laughs> and so I, I just imagine that you're there, you know, grabbing stuff off the shelf going, hmm, mm. this would go with this. And then oh, you're doing yeah. your, you know, chef kisses <laughs> in the air and such like. So I can imagine these things happening. <laughs> yeah, oh, I can imagine if uh, the, the owner of the store didn't know me better, I would be one of those really infuriating customers because... You can't really recommend anything to me because I go in and I walk from one corner of the store all the way all the way around the outside edge to the opposite corner and then back and forth about four more times. That's my usual circuit of just looking at everything. Yeah, I'm, I'm identical. And it, yeah, it happens both in my local GW and my local non-GW uh, store as mm. well. I just can't help just looking at stuff just in general just to oh yeah know, just things that may take your fancy or just give you a bit of inspiration and it yeah it's so easy to do and and i find you can actually perplex especially gw staff with things mm. like i always remember <laughs> this is going back uh about a year or year and a half ago and i remember it was at the time mm. where i was i just done a or built a carcaradon's kill team mm. and i remember ah, yes. that i mentioned it to the local staff member, you know, he said, Oh, what are you mm. working on? And I said that to him and yeah, he just didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> thinking, ah, you don't know your lesser chapters the, then. <laughs> the obscure one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, it, it, you can have a bit of fun, you know, go in there yeah. and talk about something oh. that they, that may perplex them, you know, <laughs> Give, gives them something to do. <laughs> mm-hmm. Definitely. But Hey, talking of things to do, here we are, episode mm. 62. It's a Ruin episode, so you know what that means. That means we're going to be having a main law topic, and it means we're going to be having a discussion topic. So for the main mm. topic, we are going to discuss the recent novel, Avenging Sun, which we have warned you about. So if you were listening, yes. you know it was happening. Yes. Go read it so you can understand what the hell we're talking about. <laughs> exactly, because there is plenty, plenty for us to feast on the uh, the Warhammer bones. So mm-hmm. uh, after that, like I said, we will have a discussion topic, and this will be a slightly different one than usual. We are going to yep. decide between us what is the best AOS start collecting box on many different factors, i.e. things like value, mm. theme, and such like. So that'll be interesting, because we're going to go through all of them. So, <laughs> so be prepared <laughs> for that as well. And uh, talking of topics and things like that... Uh, for our next Ruin episode, so, so episode 64, uh, we mm-hmm. have put it up for a vote. Unfortunately, the vote would have finished by the time anyone's listened to this, because what's today? Yeah. Today's the 20th of, of September. So, yeah, it, we've just put it up for a few days so we can crack on with getting it ready. But, yeah, so I can sort of pre-warn you that 
our next Ruin episode after this one will be either us covering Wrath of the Everchosen, either going back to the, the old world and talking about Vlad von Karstein, and mm-hmm. it could be uh, Spear of Shadows novel. So it'll be one of those yes. three that we will be talking about. So you've got all that to look forward to. So, <laughs> and as always, before we get stuck into the main topic, you know we've got a lovely, gorgeous Discord server where you can join lovely other people as well. So feel free to mm-hmm. click on the link and join us. It's always free. And obviously you can find other ways that you can support the show as well. So yes. that is that. Cameron, I think mm. it's time for a main law topic. Oh. oh, indeed. So <laughs> here we are, Avenging Sun. Uh, this is a novel that obviously came out very recently, and this is obviously the first yeah. one of the Dawn of Fire series that mm. we're hopefully going to enjoy over many, many years. So, yes. Cameron, yes. Um, would you, have you got the book there to hand? Yes, I've got the book here to hand. Would you like to read the back of it for me, please, sir? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> this is the Era Indomitus. A great darkness has befallen the galaxy, and the armies of chaos are rampant. To survive, humanity must retaliate and take back what they have lost. By the will of the reborn Primarch, Rabute Gilliman, is the Indomitus Crusade launched, a military undertaking that eclipses all others in known history. From the throne world of terror does the Avenging Sun hurl his fleets, their mission, the very salvation of mankind. As vessels in their thousands burn through the cold void, the attention of fleet mistress Van Leskis turns to the Makorta Sound, a region under attack by a dreaded slaughter host of the Dark Gods. The success of the Indomitus Crusade will be determined by this conflict, and the desperate mission of Strike Group St. Aster, led by Space Marine Lieutenant Messinius. Even then, it is but a prelude to the forthcoming bloodshed. For in the 41st millennium, there is only war. War. Always that war. War, war that and war. space marines. Yes. So. I do appreciate all the, uh, all the, all the highlighted keywords on this, uh, blurb. <laughs> mm. Let's me know where to focus. I'm yeah. not sure about the stylistic choice there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which words do I need to put a bit more emphasis on? It'll be these ones. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. actually, that's, it's funny you say that actually, because I, looking at the paperback of this one, mm. um, it comes yes. with some interesting little additions compared yes. to some of the other paperbacks you may pick up. Uh, sort mm. of two things I've noticed is it comes with a nice little map of the galaxy, or at least that particular part of the galaxy, which is really cool. Uh, oh, yeah, Right does. at the start. Yeah, yep, yeah, it's all there. And it, show, and it shows <laughs> you the paths of the different fleets. And what is really mm-hmm. cool is right at the back, after the epilogue, is you do have like about 10 pages or so where it's like an appendix with notes mm. about the Indomitus Crusade talking about like it gives you a bit of facts and numbers and yeah some of the history behind it which is really cool i think that's a really Mm. cool thing to shove in and it's something you may see in maybe like special editions but just the basic paperback tells me that they're putting a bit of effort into this like this series Mm. it's going to be quite prominent for them i'm guessing anyway so yeah yeah, that's really cool um obviously before we now get stuck into it spoiler warning you are warned spoilers in this 
There's it's lots. Spoiling, spoiling lots of things that we already know about, technically speaking. But uh, <laughs> yes. hey, it's good yeah. to know about more detail. Uh, exactly. For, the, for those interested but not sold, this uh, if you're confused about the transition between 7th and 8th edition, this kind of covers that. It's it's uh, it's the kickoff of 8th edition book, which is awkward because it's sort of coming at the start of 9th edition, technically. Mm. But it's, 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 all, it's all that history of the very beginning of the Indominus Crusade, and it is a brick in the shape of a paperback book. Mm. Incidentally, this, this is a lot of words. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because it's like it's five hundred odd pages, and they're you know full pages as well. So this oh, yeah. is quite a Packed quite an undertaking pages. to to get stuck into. So and actually talking about you know the number amount of words and paperbacks and things like that. Uh, obviously, if you are going to check this out before you listen to what we have to say, or mm. maybe in the future that you listen to us first, is for fair warning is the audiobook. Now, I think I mentioned mm. this on a previous episode, that I was not very happy with the voice acting for this book. Because obviously I picked it up on Audible first. That's generally how I do do it, because uh, it's easier for me to absorb it. And mm. I got to, like I said, about, about two-thirds, three-quarters of the way through, and I had enough of the voices. <laughs> the voices. <laughs> and I just had enough, and I basically got, returned it and bought the paperback, which I'm really glad I did. And so, mm. you know... I like that way of absorbing these books, but I just found, as I said, the voices that we use, especially for Gilliman, was really tough to handle. And I know that yeah. sounds a bit melodramatic because it's only just whatever the voice actor has picked. But obviously <laughs> when you're trying to enjoy a book, and obviously you know, it, on Audible it's about 15 hours long because, like we just said, mm. it's, a, it's a chunky boy. So I would... You know, just give a bit of warning. Be prepared that you may not like the the the, the yeah. voices that have been chosen. And it's a shame, really, because like I said, the narrative yeah. voice that the voice actor has uses his normal voice is, is spot on. Mm. It's fantastic. It's just the voices he uses for a lot of the characters, in my opinion, are not that great. Oh. Especially Gilliman. Uh, he makes yeah. Gilliman sound like a cross between Sean Connery and the Ents from Lord of the Rings. <laughs> it's really weird. It just doesn't work, oh. in my opinion, I but. Can- I could see how someone got to that point for like the voice of a Primarch, but mm. yeah. And it's not just your opinion. I've I've met no more, no more, no less than three other people in my real life who have said the same thing about mm. the audiobook. So yeah, it's not a controversial opinion, apparently. No, it isn't. And and if you look at the the reviews on again on Audible, a lot of people have mentioned the same. Where it's like it's a really good novel, but it's sport by the 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 choice of voices. And mm. yeah, it, I, I, again, it's all subjective. So, you know, don't yeah. let me put you off it. I'm just giving you more warning than anything mm. that you may, yeah. you know, may not be happy, but then at least with Audible, you can re- refund them, you know, and yeah. get your money, yeah. get your credit back or money back, whatever. So it's not the end of the world. So yeah. But again, I think it, it also lends in the fact that the paperback is very cool because of the extra yes. bits that you get that you wouldn't get in that as well. So, and, and also the fact they've released the paperback, sort of day one from it it's not yes. one of those where you get the hardback and then gotta wait ages God. for the paperback <laughs> yeah i really appreciate that i wish they would do that with more books because mm. i like getting the hardbacks they are literally twice as expensive <laughs> <laughs> exactly. which i mean they're more durable but uh, i could afford to get a paperback <laughs> exactly and that, that's the way it should be i think it should be where if you found you know if you fancy getting the hardback because you're like i want this to look a bit posher i want this to look a bit nicer then you grab mm. that. Whereas if you, you're not fussed or you like, look, I just want the cheapest way possible. I'll grab the paperback mm. again. It should be day one, not having to wait 
you know, six months <laughs> for it to yes. come out. So well done, GW. That is really good that you've done that. Right. Okay. So putting aside the many ways that you can uh, <laughs> read this book, um, Cameron, what did you think of it, first of all? Um, I think this is a pretty good book. I think it kind of suffers from my personal expectation going into it, which is of of all all the Black Library books I've read recently, they've all been, generally speaking, like romps, I guess is the best term for them. Like they've been like... <laughs> Yeah, you know, there's there's lots of action. The, it moves along at a really fast pace. the The plot is not difficult to keep a handle on because it's in general only following two or three groups of people at most. Mm-hmm. This is a really good book, but uh, in comparison to what you've you've occasionally complained about with Black Library, the Bolter Porn and such such what uh, that is almost non-existent in this book. Mm. Because this book is like a political hand primer. On the current yeah. state of the Imperium, pretty much, um, you you never really get anything from a non-Imperial perspective, but you get mm. a ton of Imperial perspectives, um, all <laughs> down your throat. together. <laughs> yeah, uh, th- that was the weird thing because I read the blurb. I was about halfway through the book and I reread the blurb. And I was like, I don't know who Fleet Mistress Van Leskis is, and I'm nearly mm. 300 pages into this book, she hasn't shown <laughs> up yet. But she's one of two named characters, or uh, three named characters on the back of the book. Hmm. <laughs> like it's 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 dense. It, yeah. it honestly took me a lot of effort to read. Like not in a bad way. I just I had to put music on, sit down, and say, okay, I've got an hour and a half of music loaded up on YouTube. I can't stop reading until this is done because I've got a deadline. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, <laughs> I, I I think normally this is this would be a book I'd read over like two two and a half months. Hmm? I would like read read hmm? a chapter a week maybe yeah. or something like that and sort of peruse my way through it and really think about everything going on in it. But because we're doing a show, I went, okay, I've got two weeks. I'm going to knuckle down and read this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I get that actually. Cause I, I, that's exactly how I've done with this one. I've literally had mm. not, I don't want to say force myself cause that's not the right word. Cause I've actually really enjoyed yeah. it, but I've had to sort of religiously dedicate mm. X amount of time every day for the last few weeks just to get yeah. through this book yeah. to, to make sure we're ready like, for this episode. It's, it's it's really really good because I think there there is one particular character's point of view in this book that I think if was clipped out and made into like a little novella mm. would be my favorite forty k story ever. <laughs> I think probably mm-hmm. or at least one of them would be really high up there. Yeah, uh, and it's just kind of buried in here amongst all this other like political maneuvering and how does space travel work now that we're in you know the the age of the Cicatrix maledictum and all that kind of stuff, uh, which is all really interesting and really good. Mm-hmm. The politics and everything is really drawing me in, but part of me just kind of wanted to get back to that one little side story <laughs> that I was really <laughs> enjoying. <laughs> yeah I, I i get you i, I do echo your thoughts mm. actually on this because i i agree i think it's one of those where like i said it's very it's very political uh which mm. we've seen before with guy haley obviously with dark imperium arguably because yes. if you'll see that's a very scene setting novel mm. it's got a lot yeah. about the inner workings of the imperium obviously that's the point of it that's obviously the purpose behind it where the antagonists obviously in this case you know obviously chaos mm. up to their usual shenanigans you don't really see anything you know from their perspective which obviously is deliberate everything i think in mm. this is deliberate the way this has been yes. put across so like you said if you're used to bolter porn it's quite a nice alternative uh obviously yeah. if you're not 
into the the inner workings and politics, then you you know you want a lot more action. Then you may be put off by that. But then I think you and I both generally agree that we tend to like those sort of ones a bit more, where they're not all about mm. action, where they, you actually see the inner workings of things. Because obviously, like we've said many times, there's only so many ways that you can, you know, talk about you know, bolters and chainsaws and things yeah, like that. There's only so, yeah. you know, there's only so many ways you can do that. So it's, it's nice to see the inner workings of things. I think mm. this novel where it struggles slightly and I get why is the fact that there's a lot of story arcs in this and it's yeah. so easy to forget about things. There's ones where, like you said, mm. where you, you said about Van Lekkus and you know, you're like, hang on, you haven't seen anything about it for, you know, 300 pages in, and then you'll be sort of 400 pages in and it'll, the chapter will go back to a, an arc thing. And, oh God, I forgot about that. That was, yeah. you know, because so much <laughs> as other things have happened since then, that's mm. not necessarily related, but could be related. Obviously again, a bit like dark Imperium was, this is definitely a very scene setting novel. Uh, this is obviously yeah. it's the first one of a, of a series we know is coming. Like I said, this isn't the first of it. So I can see mm. why they've had to do it. So it's almost like, Guy Haley is sort of hard to write it, take it on the chin a bit of, well, I can't expand this further because I need to save it for later down the line, or I can, yeah, I can explain yeah. this a bit more because it's primaris. I want this to come across. So you, it's yeah. a, it feels a bit imbalanced at times where there's certain things we're yeah. thinking, yeah, okay, I've enough of that. I know about that. Why can't you tell me a bit more about this? But then again, it's part of a series. I'm sure mm. that balance will be sorted down the line. I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. It is like, it is setting up characters, it is setting up storylines, and in all of that, it does technically manage to have what I would call an overarching plot, but mm-hmm. that overarching plot is mostly confined to, like, the last 150 pages, where, like, everything's, <laughs> yeah. we suddenly get a point of focus, everything's focused around that, it starts wrapping all together, and they're like, ah, oh, okay, this is where the book is going. Mm. And then the, yeah. the, the entire front three quarters of the book is this will be important later. Trust me, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be really important two or three or four books down the line. And we mm. need somewhere to set this up. So people don't say, Hey, you pulled that out of nowhere. What the, yeah. what, what the hell is this place you're talking exactly. about? What are these yeah. things? Who are these people? Uh, <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's really good. I really enjoyed it, but be warned. It is like, you have to chew through it. <laughs> There's a lot yes. to work with. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I wouldn't. I wouldn't disagree with that. And it, I think sometimes, it, and I, I know you can apply this logic to a lot of other novels, but it feels like a movie at times. Mm. You know, mm. you know, it feels like you know, it feels a bit like a a bit like a Star Wars at times, where you know, where there there's obviously a lot of space stuff, but also you've got a lot of plates spinning. And sometimes you you know it's bouncing between, and you do the you know do the wipe over, and it and it goes to oh yeah I forgot what that character was doing. And sometimes you you, you can keep track of it. It's not like it's horrendously you know difficult stuff to fathom. It's just like mm. so when you've got lots of plates spinning, sometimes you do lose track of where things or where things are going. A bit like what you said, where you're like, well, okay, yeah. I understand what's going on, but where is this going, and why is that why is that subplot just ended somewhere or mm. disappeared or you know things like that uh yeah so again it's just again it's more of a warning really that just be prepared for it but again the actual content which we're obviously discussing shortly now mm. is actually very rich with some really cool ideas really cool things that either have been reinforced like cameron said where we're 
okay, in a way we're going over slightly old territory with the Primaris and the the Crusade, Mm -hmm. but there's a lot of little extra nuggets and and cool little bits. You're like, ah, that's cool. I didn't realize that. So, you know, be prepared Mm -hmm. for that as well. And (laughs) talking of the arcs, there's, I don't know, there's probably five or six, I would say, that are probably going on roughly. We've got, so obviously this, this whole novel and obviously will be the series is, as the title suggests, will be based around the start of mm. the Indomitus Crusade. And obviously it's been, it's, and the history behind it. And obviously the, the bits that we have not seen in, you know, in the codexes mm. and the other novels as well. So, you know, for example, so, if, so for context, so the, the, I suppose the main arcs you would say you've got Messinius, who is a uh, white consoles captain who mm-hmm. is, uh, basically going from looking after Gilliman as part of his security effectively to mm. teaching the ways of Marines to the new Primaris. Uh, you've got a girl called uh, Nora um, yeah. who is, I, I wasn't actually sure official title. Is she part of like the Min- she, Ministorum, I imagine? Yeah. Hold on. I've got her here just a sec. Uh, <laughs> There's lots of, lots of terminology uh, is, in this book. <laughs> yes. She, she, she is a Scribum Processus. So That's a processing it. scribe. Mm-hmm. In um, ultimate ultima missive processing, so she works in the uh, the really urgent communiques department, essentially. And at yeah. spoilers, she's my favorite story arc. I think mm-hmm. her story arc is the perfect forty k story arc. Um, yeah, I disagree with yeah. that. <laughs> yeah. So you've got her to her journey with a, a particular mm-hmm. missive she's trying to get seen. Uh, you've got Fabian, who is mm-hmm. a again another you know, uh, part of yeah. the cog in the, uh, the ministorum and those sort mm. of departments, but he's now becoming a historian for Gilliman. Yep. You've got, um, Athagay and her, mm-hmm. uh, well, for, so she's a, she's Commodore Athagay, who's, whose ship and crew. And well, she's actually part of the St. Aster or leads the St. Aster battle group. Yeah. So they're becoming yeah. part of the crusade. So you get all that side, that arc of things. You've got all the politics between all the different fleets, which is yep. another <laughs> big one as well. And then probably the other main one is you've got Rostov who inquisitor Rostov, um, mm-hmm. and his crew who is really cool as well, particularly one member yeah. of his crew and yeah. <laughs> their agenda as well. And obviously the, their investigations they're doing. So, like, so they're probably the main parts of the little bits as well. There's a few chapters as well where, they reference something and you, you don't really see anything about it for the rest of the novel. <laughs> so <laughs> be yeah, prepared for that yeah. as well. God, I was, I was just looking at the, uh, the dramatis persona and it's like Adeptus Mechanicus Explorado team, all these, all these people. I'm like, wait, who the hell are they? And they're like, they've got two chapters in the first hundred pages. Yeah. And then, and then they're referenced every now and again in like mm-hmm. off, offhand sentences and that's it. But like, they're, they're actually really important technically, which is, yeah, crazy (laughs) (laughs) well that's the thing that's why like i said it it can feel a bit overwhelming this book you know that's Mm. a perfect example where you're coming across little sub arcs and yeah they you're trying to work out where they all fit in and uh, again i'm sure when we cover the next novel in this series then i'm sure we'll be doing a lot of aha moments Mm. ah ooh, now i get it (laughs) (laughs) so be prepared for that as well so right okay so where shall we start well should we start with obviously who this novel is named after let's start with avenging son himself uh, let's start with gilliman i think mm, is yeah a good one to start with so yeah i mean gilliman's not in this a great deal ultimately he's you know he's in it Mm. a fair bit but not 
dramatically so. Uh, obviously, we've seen him obviously a lot in, let's say, Dark Imperium, Plague War, and things like that. So a lot of the things we see about him are pretty, I want to say repetitive. Again, it's things we've seen before. Mm. We know he's under a lot of strain. He's, you know, since yeah. he's been resurrected, uh, obviously he's dealing with all the politics, the the religion side mm-hmm. uh, and faith side of the Imperium as well. We know all that when I said when we discussed the other novels. Um, I think what's yeah. good about this book is you I think it's the little things about Gilliman mm. that we find out that's actually quite interesting, um, which I think you mentioned in the previous show. He, for example, he sleeps standing up. That's yep. an interesting one. <laughs> He's basically in a frame. Twenty cards. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he, 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 sort of. I know it sounds weird, but I, I, I think when I imagined that, it's a bit like mm. uh, in is it Fallout Four, the game Fallout 4 where the with the, the, power the, the, frame. the pa- exactly. It's like yeah. that. That's how I imagine. <laughs> He is sleeping because that's basically how it's described. He's in a mm. in a frame that's holding, literally holding up his weight. Mm. Uh, obviously, in the armor of fate, which is very heavy. Yes, and that he can't take off because he'll die at this point. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and you know, it's keeping him alive. And like you said, he's got twenty captains guarding him. Ten are facing in. Ten are facing yep. out. It's very, yep. it's very regimental. Very. <laughs> Very Gilliman, the way he goes about this. And and actually talking about his armour, again, with some very fascinating little things. Like, it, it, it mentions at one point, he has little mini projectors to show robes instead of the armour. Because obviously he can't take that armour off, because like I said, yeah, it, he won't yeah. survive if he, if he takes it off. <laughs> so he has little projectors to show robes just to make people sort of feel at ease. <laughs> Basically, yeah, where he's not yeah. constantly wearing armour, but he actually is. <laughs> I thought that's... That's, that is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Quite quite interesting. And again, another thing, he's he's got adhesive plastex on the end of his fingers in yes. the armor so he yeah. can turn pages. <laughs> in books. Yeah, so he can turn pages and use like touch screens and things. Yeah. He's literally clad head to toe in ceramite uh, yeah. at all times. He doesn't really have the chance to touch things without breaking them otherwise. Yeah. yeah. Is, it's all those little things are really great. Like he's clearly we we know that later on he learns to like survive outside of the armor, but this is mm-hmm. early stage Gilman. That's not even yeah. in this book. That's so far along. Um, that's like after the Indominus Crusade, Gilman. Um, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, it, it's all those little things of like learning how he got to the point he is where he's just so entirely tired and frustrated with this. Like. <laughs> From the sounds of the history we had heard so far, it's like, you know, Gilliman wakes up, he heads to Terra, speaks to the Emperor, and then immediately launches this massive fleet. Like, this book takes place over, a, what would what you say, about three to six months? Yeah, I'd say so, yeah. Yeah? Gilliman yeah. is on Terra the entire time, and he has been on Terra for nearly a year before the book starts. Mm-hmm. And, like, it, it, it was not a quick process, as I guess nothing in the Imperium is. It's just, like, detailing the tedium, the bureaucracy, the drudgery of day-to-day just slowly forcing this entire civilization to begin mobilizing and, you know, attempting to change things. And we, we, we begin to understand more why he's so absolutely tired of everything at all times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it comes across very well. It, it, it comes across, like... In a way, you're, it's almost like that guy Haley's written it, so you're trying to feel sorry for him to a degree. Oh, yeah. Um, obviously, yeah. it depends, obviously, on your opinion and whether he's just imperial scum. Uh, but <laughs> but <laughs> it, it, it does come across like that. Like, he, he, he literally has the weight of the galaxy and the Imperium 
on his shoulders, which mm. he does literally. And yes. you know, he and <laughs> and also the the key thing to understand, which is sort of what you alluded to, is with the times, is he's not only is he trying to sort stuff out, he's do, trying to do it at a very quick pace. Like I said, he, mm. you know, if you imagine he's gone had to go from McCrag back to Terra and fight his way back to Terra. He then gets to Terra. He then has an audience with the Emperor, which obviously we don't know what happens in that, and even mm. though it's alluded to in a few novels. Uh, he comes out, and it actually describes this, he comes out very ashen-faced, very pissed mm. off, very frustrated. Yeah. But obviously he's been given the task of, right, you're now Imperial Regent, and you've now got to you know sort stuff out, basically, sort the Imperium yeah. out and all the trouble it's in. And then... With it, you know, he launches or at least begins the Indomitus Crusade, i.e., the workings of it, get the, the ball rolling like really quickly. It's not like, right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm just gonna chill for a bit and then get on with it. So mm. the pace of it is crazy when you think about it. Like the logistics, oh, that's yeah, why yeah. this is a very, this is, there's a lot of logistics in this novel mm. and the way it works. Obviously, that plays into Gilliman's strength. Obviously, we know that's one of his you know, things he's very good at <laughs> uh, as well. But even he is struggling. And also, the mm. thing that we see is he's struggling to let go of it as well. There's a point where he's obviously having to give responsibility to normal mortals at times, which is obviously the right mm. thing to do because he literally yeah. can't deal with everything at the same time. But he has to. And it's like, it's that like struggle, like, no, just let go, Gilliman. Let other people take a bit of responsibility. It's not all on your shoulders. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's good. It's it's more of Gilman being the only sane person in the entire Imperium, and (laughs) that's awful. Because hey, Gilman's also not like great personally. Like you could be a nicer person, but like under the circumstances, he's probably the best person to be the only sane man in the Imperium. But God, Mm. it's rough with him as the only sane man in the Imperium. (laughs) Yeah, it must be lonely. Oh, I'm sure it is. Like it's um, it, it does a lot to humanize him as well. Like mm. um, all, all the different characters meeting Gilliman and the way he interacts with them, I think, really sells the way people think of him, and also how lots of different people react to him. There's like um, with one of the new Primaris Marines gets to meet Gilliman, it's like, oh wow, even from a distance, he's like this massive awe-inspiring figure, and then Gilliman actually starts talking, he's like, oh god, he's too human. Like he's, <laughs> yeah. he's, he, sh- he should be he should be further above like humanity, mm. but he's just like a big man who is tired <laughs> and wants me to do my best. <laughs> yeah, and like yeah, yeah. There's there's, uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff in the book about that. It's like you can't forget that we are we are ascended above humanity, but we came from humanity. You have to remember where you came from, otherwise you'll end up lost. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. I think as well is that <laughs> it, it's it's probably quite horrifying for a lot of the people that he that meet him, whether you're mm. primaris or just a you know a simple human, is that he is human. I think that's horrifying for them. Like, oh mm. wow, you know, because they've obviously put him on a pedestal so much, and obviously mm. a lot as we know, a lot of the Imperium is shut off from the real things that go on. You know, demons, for oh, example. Yeah. You know, so yeah. so obviously. You know, if you're on some planet, you know, stuck out in the middle of nowhere, where you, obviously you know of, you know, Gilliman and he's returned and he's the Emperor's son, mm. etc., that he is going to be considered godlike. But obviously, that whole faith versus reality hits mm. home quite often in this, again, in this book, where, yeah. you know, especially like Masinius is like, no, 
he's not a god. Do not treat him like one. Mm. But you mm. will do any you will do anything you can for him. Like, you know, yeah. he's he's still a person, but he's just an amazing person <laughs> that is yeah. trying to do yeah. amazing things with his skills and have the mm. like I said the weight of the world or the galaxy, I should say, on <laughs> his shoulders. And you know, yeah. it it does, like you said, it does humanize him a hell of a lot. Which obviously, again, is the, is the point because that again is the reality of it, and it just shows again how fragile the Imperium is. We know that mm. it's you know it's been on it's on that you know you know two seconds to midnight situation, and okay, they've got a savior now in in air quotes mm. come back to him, but <laughs> he's tired and he's catching up as well. He's had yeah. a lot of catching up to do. As well mm. as we know, again from some of the other books, he's he's had you know <laughs> quite a few thousand years to realise what has actually happened, <laughs> and you know, and 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 also despair. Despair is actually a key thing for him. You know, he and I think actually Messinia says that at one point when he gets back to Terra, before, you know, I think this is a bit before he actually goes to see the Emperor. He, he's lo- mm. looking around at Terra and the Imperium in general, and, and he's like, "Oh no!" <laughs> you know, it's like yeah. it's like, "Oh my god." Oh. Look yeah. at the state of it. <laughs> uh, it. It's the exact opposite of what the plan was, which was let's create, you know, a, a perfect, self-sustaining, atheistic society, and then ten thousand years go by, and we've got a crumbling, self-depend, like self-dependent, mono-religious, theocratic nightmare of a state, <laughs> sort of <laughs> slowly falling in on itself, and literally, like. The way this book depicts the Imperium as a whole is my favourite, because it depicts mm-hmm. it accurately. Like, you know, the, the, it's always in the background in all the more action-forward books that, like, you know, the Imperium's still an awful place to live, but by God, it's better than being eaten by orcs. Um, <laughs> they never really show how absolutely awful it is to live in the Imperium, and this book gets down and dirty with all of mm. that on multiple different levels. Uh, with yeah. multiple different characters, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's it's well. Actually, let's let's move on to that because that's mm. um, a good thing to to talk about. Is yeah, there's a lot of down and dirty Imperium mm. and, and terror in in as in the, in the planet terror. terror. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that and again, we've seen this before. Again, in some of the other literature, that terror in general is not a nice place to live you think it's you know it's mm. the beacon of humanity it's going to be it's going to be wonderful okay the emperor's you know on his golden throne he's not you know visible as such anymore but you know it's it's the home world of humanity it should be amazing and it really isn't it it mm. feels like an absolute dive at times really it's you know <laughs> where it really does and again they don't shy mm. away from it you've got you know it's often said that the is it like the atmosphere is it, you know the actual literal atmosphere mm. is is terrible it's got this whole you know this grayness to it uh people yeah. have a grayness to them because they're not you know people mm. are barely eating so they've just got enough yeah. to survive they obviously they're not getting the medical care that you know most people would mm. expect they're having to work long hours you know they're it's they're really grinding themselves they're you know the, these cogs oh, yeah. in, in in the in the in this machine uh, and that's no reference mm. to Admac. Um, the, <laughs> <laughs> is is a struggling like humanity. It, it to me it epitomizes where mm. the Imperium is. Like this should be the golden age to of the of the Imperium, and it really isn't. Oh yeah, like uh, speaking of like cogs in the machine, like the machine is failing to the utmost degree as well. Like um, mm. 
Uh, we we might as well talk about uh, Nora and her story here because mm. this, is, this is basically what this entire story is. So Nora is a scribe in the Missive Hive on Terra. So she actually holds on the galactic scale what someone would consider a massively important position. She's on the capital world of the entire Imperium. She works dealing with like uh, organizing and passing on the highest level of messages and like requests for aid up and down the chain. For 11 hours a day, she, she has an 11-hour shift, they take her to a 3x3x3 cubicle, that's feet, not meters, lock <laughs> her in with a literal padlock. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cubicle is too high for her to climb out of. She has her desk, a pen, a little set of tarot cards with the uh, of the Emperor's tarot, and then 11 hours later she's let out, she gets to go to the bathroom, she gets to sleep for three hours, and then they put her back in the cell. Yep. And the thing is, we learned later in her story, this was a, this was a political move up for her. I know. That's scary. She was, she was <laughs> sold off to this higher position with the assurance. At, she was sold off, I should say, at the age of nine to this mm. quote unquote higher position with the promise that she would be married to someone from the department and then move further up the chain from there. She's 19 now. She's obviously not married. When she meets her father, he says, oh, you're, nine, you're 19 or something now? You're too old to be married. Which, mm. in its own, is a fucking awful statement. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, very much <laughs> Like, so. she, she is, in his eyes, well beyond the age of, like, being assigned a partner and all that kind of thing. And, you know, there's, like, beyond the political betrayal of, you know, I sent my daughter to work for you. She, you said she'd get a good husband, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yikes, Tara. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah, but she she finds a really important missive, and she knows it's really important because she knocks over the stacks of paper, and her Emperor's Tarot falls out in the shape of an Aquila on this one particular message, <laughs> with, like, all these portentous cards that are never drawn randomly. They only show up when really important things happen. Because, again, in-universe, the Emperor's Tarot is, like, a real thing powered mm. by, like, the human subconscious to a degree. Yeah. So she's like, I found this really important message. It's like, I've got to get out. And, you know, late at, late at night in one shift, someone leaves her cubicle door open. And, like, the door out of her processing block is also, for some reason, left open. She sneaks out, and her entire journey is trying to get this one message slightly higher up the chain. And mm. just seeing what the absolute state of this... Of this because this this is super important, right? This is like mm-hmm. the key message center on Terra, and it runs on denied requests for aid. Like it yeah. literally, <laughs> the entire hive is fueled by burning re- denied pleas for aid. There is an entire guild of people who collect these denied requests for help. And then shovel them into a furnace so people don't freeze to death because Terra barely has an atmosphere. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it's ridiculous. It's so grim. It really is. And and it it also shows how grimdark it still is. You know, the people Mm. that still don't think 40k is grimdark as it once was. It still really is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh my god. Like, um, she meets a guy named Teasel. He's he's a scavenger. His job... Uh is to go through denied requests for aid and find ones that were denied in error, and then he gets a bounty, and the scribe who who wrongly denied it is punished. He's 32 years old, and he's found five of them, and he's considered, like, a master of his craft. (laughs) 
I know. It, it boggles the mind when you, some of these things. I mean, he's li- he's a literal mm. data miner, isn't he? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he's literally a data miner. <laughs> and it's 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 absolutely crazy how how oppressive this regime mm. actually really is because yeah. like you said it's bordering slavery but it oh, no, it, is, it, it is slavery they don't get it, paid well sorry when all. i say bordering it, it is you're right it is slavery <laughs> but they wouldn't say it's that that's what i mean it's bordering well, they don't slavery. know what slavery is yeah no exactly but <laughs> you know for, for, but we know that's what it actually is <laughs> yeah exactly and yeah. It, it's it's so and that's what i like about this that it doesn't shy mm. away from this side of things that this is the reality of the Imperium that we, you know, people are, are trying to be, you know, that Gilliman is trying to save with this crusade mm. is like mm. I said, it is not all <laughs> sh- sunshine and rainbows. And, and like I said, it, it's like, uh, like talking of what you're saying about like the cubicle and, and things like that is like, I said, there's barely any light. They, and mm. as punishment, they get sleep taken off them because like, obviously yeah. they don't own anything. So there's not, no, there's nothing else. So, and obviously they don't, really obviously they're not going to torture them because obviously that's not really mm. going to help things so so what they'll do is right okay you've done something wrong i'm going to take an hour's sleep off you which you know is yeah. obviously a form of torture in its way as mm. as well really and 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 also what you do see with nora as well is this sort of this lack of understanding the outside world or at least oh, the yeah. outside world around her like when she mm. finally escapes when she you know obviously goes on this uh, mission with the missive to, to take, like you said, to take it higher. She's sort of, you know, bamboozled and terrified of the, you know, of the, you know, just the street down the road from her because she's not mm. seen it for years because yeah. like you said, she got taken away when she was younger, put into this role and has never left <laughs> and mm. doesn't know any different. And that is yeah. scary, really oh. scary, really hits home. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, you know, so like Imperium's an awful place. It also, doesn't have any resources because as as I said, there's an entire guild of people who burn denied papers, right? There's also the fact that all of these scribe guilds, because she's in a different scribe guild essentially, they are constantly running out of paper to write denied requests on and print them out on and stuff. So they raid the 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 burning the burners guild for like the cho- for the choicest pieces of parchment that can be scraped clean and written with new denied request for aid yep yep <laughs> on them because if they don't their quota goes down and their their ranking goes down they get less food and they get less power and like they're literally fighting over whether to burn this request for help or erase it to write a new request of help to be erased or burned later <laughs> Mm. because there's just not enough paper in the universe to support the way this stupid government is set up. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it. And it, it, and it's, it's, it's amazing to see what an archaic system it actually is. Like I said, it's all done on mm. parchment papers. It's not done on, yeah. on computers and machinery that's tracking yeah. this. It's literally, it's literally mm. slaves looking through these missives, looking out for key words in the missive mm. to see if there's anything that's of importance. Obviously, if it is, it will potentially get taken higher, but then probably denied later down, mm. you know, up the line. Obviously, yeah. if they don't find anything, it gets, you know, put in the bin effectively. And that's where you get your data miners and the, mm. and the, and the, uh, you know, trafficking of, of, uh, parchment paper, basically. Yeah. And then, and then, but on top of that, you, like I said, you got that layer with going back to Teasel where mm. they're actually trying, where there's, re- they're getting rewards for people that have missed 
key missives like that could have happened mm. years ago it's it's yeah. crazy like this what oh. a, what an oppressive society and, and yeah. machine to be part yeah. of oh and I, I feel i should also mention it's mostly parchment but they also use vellum and for people who don't mm. know vellum is cured skin yeah they never specify it's animal skin and i have an awful feeling it's probably <laughs> human skin because yeah. Again, resource-wise, I don't think there are enough cows in the world, in the universe, to create the amount of vellum needed mm. for this society. It is probably the it's probably a Necromunda-style thing, right, where someone dies, their body gets sent to the corpse guild, and they grind them up and turn them into corpse starch. But there's probably an additional step of, oh, we flay them first and cure the hide so we can write more missives to be denied, to be burned, or fought over to be scraped clean, to be burned, or... (laughs) It's just this never-ending loop of literally pointless bureaucracy. They have computers! Yeah. (laughs) Like, a cogitator is a thing that is still built and produced in the Mm. 41st millennium. They could just not do this like this. (laughs) But... (laughs) But because it's the way it's always been done, we've always had a paper trail. So now that we're managing a galactic empire, of course we still maintain a paper trail. Yeah. Oh, what's that? Uh, what's that, Teasel? Oh, you're just looking through this pile because they're only 300 years old, so some might still be relevant. <laughs> sure, I guess. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, like as a third party, it just, it just sounds absolutely mm. crazy and bonkers. But I suppose it also, in a way, it feels like it's giving these people something to do. Like, they wouldn't oh, yeah. have much else to do if they weren't doing mm. this. And like you say, you see the bureaucracy, you see the politics between these particular levels. And like you said, e- even though, like I said, you know, Nora is at, has gone up a level, which is still a shit mm. level, and then when you see <laughs> her going on her journey, going up the levels, as in physically going to the different levels, mm. and like, oh, look, you know, they've got a chair made of wood. And then, and yeah. Like that. It's, yeah. It's just... That's the level you're you're looking at things. Mm. It's not all. Oh yeah, I said bolt guns and power. Off no, world. no, God, she she goes to her father's office and he has his own office the size of three cubicles put together. Mm. And at the back of the office is a door, and she's like, oh, maybe he has his own room to sleep in or his own bathroom, so he doesn't have to like take a shit in the tube next to everyone else or whatever. <laughs> yeah. She she is so locked in to how the, how her world works her world is corridors and rooms she doesn't comprehend the idea that that door might lead to a different area of the hive like it could just lead out to a road or like a corridor that leads up or something like she you knows just another room there can only mm. be a small room behind there i mean like her father's relatively important it's probably some mm. kind of access shaft or something back there but yeah, probably. yeah. and like um so there i love this story because Nora's great She's just this, she's just this poor woman with a mission. She knows this one missive she's found is super important. She needs to get it somewhere. And there's like, it showcases the level of meaningless inherent in how the Imperium works. And there's two bits. There's a bit sort of two thirds of the way through where she comes to this shaft, like this massive hole bored through straight through the hive and paper is just falling like snow because in the upper Mm -hmm. levels, they they don't bother to put the papers in like a package to be delivered to lower levels. No, they just have a hole in the middle of the hive that they throw <laughs> all the denied requests into. Um, and <laughs> so let them fight like, for the scraps, basically. Yeah, let them fight <laughs> for the scraps. So it's just falling down this endless shaft to the bottom of the planet. Uh, all this paper, like just she just catches one. It's like you know, 
uh, there's a strong Xenos presence growing in this area, just like dated 500 years ago, and it's only just been thrown in here as a denied yeah. request and all that kind of yeah. stuff. Um, but, but yeah, so she's like, she's got this unique mission. She's fighting for all she's worth to get to the top of the hive. She goes through terrible trials and tribulations, like gets caught up in a fight between uh, a scribing clan and a burning clan. Yep. <laughs> all this terrible stuff, which is also just great. Um, mm. She finally gets to a mid, a mid low tier of the hive where things are actually organized. Like she can apply to be what's called a scribum errant. So literally like a scribe away from home on a mission. She fills out a form and she goes and stands in a line and she stands in a line for a week, slowly <laughs> queuing towards her final goal of this one office. Um, and, and also she's given <laughs> like water and soup, but because mm. she has nothing to put it in, it's literally given in her hands. Like yeah. soup is handed to her in her yeah. bare hands. It's yeah, yeah to it's that awful. sort of level. But it's better than where she was a few days ago. And then mm. she finally, she finally gets to where she's going and finds that the person who is meant to look at this missive has been taken away because he did terrible crimes. He's actually one of the other characters. It's Fabian. Yep. He didn't He didn't do terrible crimes. He just wrote history, and so Gilliman, like, requisitioned him. But everyone here thinks he was taken away for heresy. Um, but the problem is, 40 other people have shown up with a copy of the exact same message over the last two days, and, like, one guy's going, this is clearly the Emperor's work, this message is important. And the local guards are like, listen, if it was important, the emperor would have shown up in person or something like that and <laughs> yeah, just had yeah. them weld. He, they have, he has, he has his guards weld the door to the guy's office shut so that all these people stop annoying him and taking time out of his actual <laughs> duties. I'm just doing that, my job. Yeah. Basically. And, that's, and that's the end of Nora's story is she felt like she had a unique call to action. She fought, she struggled, she grew, she learned about the world. And at the end of the day, she saw everything the Imperium had to offer in this sort of like mini world of like terrible, terrible stuff she had to go through. And at the end of the day, she realizes she's one of like an enormous number of people in the exact same circumstance. And it was entirely pointless for all of them. I know. And it, that it's is a perfect 40k story. It was so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it really, and it, like you said, it epitomizes the Imperium. It epitomizes the fact that ultimately you are meaningless. You're, like I said, you're just mm. a number in the system. And, yeah. you know, this is the best the Imperium's got to offer you, which is fuck all. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's so good. I feel so bad for her. <laughs> it, I, well, actually, that's, that's a good segue, actually, because there, mm. there is a lot of tough moments in this mm. novel i feel oh yeah it doesn't shy away from some actual real emotional moments uh, and there's at mm. least half a dozen that i can think of in this and yeah. i i love that and you know mm. because let's be honest with a lot of these novels in war you know warhammer novels that oh yeah there we you know we enjoy the vast majority of him but you don't often get what i'd consider emotionally attached or i i would say that it's sort of quite rare because obviously a lot of time it's not enough to, to sort of get you going in that sort of capacity. Mm. But I think there's, especially in this book, it does, you know, it, again, it doesn't shy away from these horrible moments. Like for example, obviously, like you said about Nora and obviously that tragic moment where she, it gets, you know, welded up and you know, it was all for nothing again, going back to her and her father, 
Like you're after mm. that. I mean, it's only a brief conversation, but it's horrible yeah. where, you know, he's, he's, he can't believe that she's not married and she's lacking in education, but he doesn't care about mm. her. He just cares no. that the deal didn't go as it should have done. And, you know, from how it would look and reflect on him. And then obviously he, for five seconds, he ends up being a bit nice to her going, okay, you know, I'll, you, you know, you can take this missive higher. I'll help you get there, which again, he's doing yeah. for his own benefit, not her yeah. benefit. And at the end, and then, you know, the, you think there's going to be this nice moment where they reconcile. And then he says, I don't want to see you ever again. Yeah. And don't like, come back here. Oh, <laughs> yeah. It's horrible. It's, you know, mm. simple, you know, it's simple lines, but it, it, it hits home. It's like, yeah, yep, there you go. There's the Imperium. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's 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 horrible. And then another moment, there's, um, which again is of a slightly different Arc, story mm. arc but there's a moment where the uh the rostov you know the, the inquisitor and his yes. crew are trying to get off the planet and oh, it ends God. up they end up having to swap with a commissar and some soldiers because there's literally yeah. not enough physical room on the transport to get off mm. the planet that is literally going to die you know it's chaos of yeah have really destroyed it and obviously you know, because he's an inquisitor, obviously he will, mm. you know, he'll get on that ship because he's far too important. So the commissar obviously realizes, but he's like, right. And my crew. And, you know, and obviously the crew in- includes a Xenos which, character, which we'll yeah. talk about shortly. Yeah. And like these soldiers are like having to literally go right. You, you and you get off. And by just yeah. simply pointing those fingers, they're going to die now because they're staying yeah. on the planet and they're going to die oh. because these people are deemed more important. And it's yeah. like, wow, oh. that's it, very, cutting through things. yeah and that that one is actually super poignant because uh one of one of inquisitor rostov's quote-unquote crew is a uh an astro military lieutenant named lecrant who mm-hmm. rostov literally met two hours ago uh lecrant was you know part of the retreat and his squad got cornered by a corn berserker so most of them ran off lecrant and two of his men were simply just tired of the fight because they've been fighting for almost a year at this point and said mm. you know screw it if we're going to die we might as well die with honor we'll fight this we'll fight this space marine and rostov rescues him uh and lecrant's like well i i'd already consign myself to death but i guess i'll follow along at this point and then we get to that point where the commissar's like well i've volunteered not to get on the ship for you but like and he points to the ship full of Tempestus Scions, like the elite of the elite in the Astro Militarum, and goes, but they're all good men. We can't have, we can't afford to lose any of them. And Rosso's like, no, these three are coming with me. And Lecrant's like, I'm just a regular, I'm an officer, but I'm not a good officer or anything. (laughs) I don't think I'm worth one of these signs. And like, as the ship takes off, like he mouths, I'm sorry at one of the signs, who just turns turns his gun on and turns around because there's literally chaos marines like breaking over the ridge yeah <laughs> it's, it's it's awful tragic it's really <laughs> tragic yeah and again it just shows how cutthroat everything is mm. it, that, that summarizes everything we we're talking about in these moments it's just so harsh but it's mm. reality you know in, in, yeah. in for yeah. these and it's it i mean the one that really got me actually and i, I didn't think it would it, I, I don't know if it was the same for you was that trans mechanic that ends up dying there's a there's this there's this wonderful little um mm. chapter where there's a trans mechanic who's obviously got going to check on some of the you know doing some routine checks oh, on the ship yes and oh. he, you know he, he, this bit is really horrible because 
so he you know he's he, so he's a mechanic you know like i said check in a part of the of the ship uh just a routine mm. check obviously he can only do it when basically the you know the the, the warp drives etc are not firing up obviously because yeah because he's in a he's in a plasma conduit for the reactor like he's standing it. inside the reactor yeah exactly <laughs> so he you know and, and you've got this lovely scene where he's you know he's almost like the equivalent of whistling while he's working you know, he's, he mm. really obviously enjoys he's talking to the machine spirits in the different devices yeah. he's got his he's yeah. got his own little sort of helper like skull you know his little servitor skulls and things like mm. that sort of just busybody doing things around and you know he's like you know he's the sort it's the sort of way he's like he finds a part that's you know that's damaged You're like oh this won't do oh yeah. I'll, I'll, you know well i'll make sure your parts get reused for something else he's literally talking to the yeah. machine spirit of it yeah. you know and taking all the information and then obviously all of a sudden like klaxons go right there's going to be a, a test of the of the reactor and he's like mm. and there's this panic like what yeah. we what mean there's gonna you know it's not scheduled for now and then you've got mm. this sort of moment where obviously he's panicking because he knows he's about to die now because something's mm. happened that he shouldn't have done. You know, again, you'd see it in the, in various movies, or sort of similar scenes, but mm. it's still quite tragic in this sense. And then, like I said, he's trying to do everything he can in the you know in the seconds to to think yeah. of an escape plan, which is not going to well, happen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he is, but he's also doing his job because what he what he was working on was uh, he found a broken component. Uh, which we later found out, find out was sabotage, which is the magnetic shielding for the reactor in this sector mm-hmm. is broken. So if that's not fixed, the next time they test the reactor, he thinks the ship's going to blow up. So I'll just fix this really quick. He takes the broken one, says, we'll find something to do with you, puts it on his workbench, picks up the replacement and is literally beginning to screw it into place when the, when the warning sirens go off. He's like, I'm going to die, but I've got the fastest hands in the West. I might be able to install this shielder before I go, and he gets to 57 out of 62 uh, connection points mm-hmm. on it. And like his, his last thought is like, oh, 57 connection points in 5.3 seconds, that's a new personal record, and then he's just <laughs> yeah. obliterated, yeah. and it was so sad. Yeah. Oh my really god. <laughs> and really that, that's was. his only scene. It's this tiny, like, yeah. three-page three scene, and I loved that character, and I felt mm. so bad. I've got, like, I'm tearing up a little, actually. Yeah, so that's, <laughs> oh, that's God. what I mean. It, 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 in the context of the novel, it doesn't mean much. Obviously, it, it no. does in, in the sense that it's obviously <laughs> talking about the sabotage that's part of the storyline. But, mm. yeah, I, I love the fact that even though you've got these multiple arcs of very important characters going on, is you know he's happy to throw in things like mm. that will you know be a bit of a tear jerk in, in the context yeah. of the story. And it's... Oh. It's wonderful to see. Oh. I mean, and also there's like a there's like um, a soldier couple that as well mm. at one point, oh. which who know they're going to die. You know, they, <laughs> yeah. they you know again, it's on the same planet that's uh, that's getting taken over by chaos. And there's this moment where they you know they they notice where the lieutenant notices them sort of sort of holding hands and or you know touching hands, and which mm. obviously you wouldn't usually see, but obviously they've you know had a relationship before and yeah. again they just they but they're still doing their duty you know helps yeah. i think they're helping getting rostov and the and the, and the mm. rest of his crew to the transports but they know they're yeah. gonna die and it's sort of that you know just resigned to that fact that that's gonna happen yeah and it, yeah and it's sad again, to see super sad one of them stays behind to rally troops the other one drives the salamander for rostov and then you yeah. know goes and drops him off at the gunship and then just requests permission to turn around and drives it back all the way through like artillery fire 
And that's the last <laughs> we see of that vehicle. I'm like, why is this novel so sad? It's like it's meant to be like a history book. <laughs> yeah, but then history is sad, I suppose, isn't it? Really? I guess, yeah. yeah. It, 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 like, he humanized Gilliman. He's also just humanizing the everyday people of the Imperium. And it's really yeah. good. It's, it it's, is, it's, it is. I appreciate it a lot. <laughs> yeah, I do too. And I think... Um, I think it it has its place in this book, and I mean, also mm. that she's thinking about. It, there's also the that horrible scene with the navigator as well, trying to find oh, the demon God. ship. Oh where, no! Which again is oh, another really so sad. sad scene. Like, <laughs> sorry, we have to talk over yeah. this camera. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> get all this emotion again, back. <laughs> it's super sad. Like, um, it's a super secret mission. We can't tell you what it's going to be, but like, it'll be dangerous. And this this one navigator out of twenty steps forward and says. You're not telling us because it will kill us. My family considers me too mutated to have children because he's got like extra knuckles and he's got a mm-hmm. tumor on his throat because navigators yep. get a lot of mutations. Uh, it's like normally he'd be allowed to have children, but ever since the uh, the Great Rift opened, they've been super strict on all the gene code stuff. And he's like, I'd not, I don't want anything for my house. I just want you to tell them that I served with honor and like I helped facilitate this super important mission because that's the only legacy I can have because I'm not uh, I'm not allowed to have a child, which is all he wants, apparently. Like, again, Imperium, super cruel, awful place, super sad circumstances, and then does his duty and he crumbles up and uh, all the various plot things. Is, God, ah, uh, humanizing <laughs> the Imperium. Hu- no, don't humanize the Imperium. Humanize the people of the Imperium, yes. Humanize the Imperium, no. I don't need that. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Shall we move on to a lighter thing? Shall we talk yes. about what is objectively the best character in the book, Chilcher? <laughs> I thought you'd say that. <laughs> Love her. She is so good. <laughs> One thing I would I would say, actually, going back to mm. my earlier comment about the the audiobook, the voice yes. for her was really funny. Um, yeah. It, she, you know, <laughs> like, stop looking at me, damn human. They got, they've got they given her a really sort of husky, deep voice. You yeah, know, she's a yeah. female. And it's it's hilarious. Like she's got this real attitude about it. So, oh, uh, I love it. That's actually one of the voices that I thought was spot on. Actually, so yeah. I, I, that's the one thing I would say about that. Uh, I think it's great that they they've given a obviously a, a Xenos character to an Inquisitor's mm. crew, which and it's and as far as I know, I don't think it's a Xenos species that's referenced anywhere else. I don't. No, I've, I've I, looked into it. I don't think so. Which uh, is the way cool. they first described her, I was like, is this a squat? Are we doing squats? And there's like <laughs> the fish like face and the extra arms. Like, okay, it's not a squat. But like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's this, it's this little wide set, like three or four foot tall, bulky alien. She's got uh, a pelagic, a fish like sort of flat face with a flat nose and too many teeth and four arms. Um, yeah. she's carrying a Tau pulse rifle, which is fun. So this yeah. might be, uh, this might be, uh, an auxiliary species to the Tau Empire, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, a bit like the they, yeah. I, I should say they might have been, given the way Chilcher responds to any questions about her species. They're probably not a thing anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like we, I get you know, we question. don't talk about my people, but she's great. She's sort of this foul mouthed, very abrasive, uh, very comfortable character like she mm. she is super comfortable in the presence of all this imperial stuff which is crazy like my my favorite bit is um 
they the, one of the one of the uh the great fleets of the Indominus Crusade meets up with Rostov and they have this massive procession there's priests <laughs> chanting there's companies of space marines and astro militarum and then Rostov walks down with a literal alien just walking around chewing on a stick of gum looking around <laughs> sort of whistling going oh, oh yeah 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 oh priests yeah 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 and just like everyone just kind of stops and looks and then just gets back to doing what they're doing because he's an inquisitor you're not going to tell him not to bring his pet Xenos along. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> but, like, she's, she's like, bad, bad mouth space marine. She pushes Messinius um, around a lot, which I think mm-hmm. is really funny. Yeah. <laughs> like, this just, like, walks up to this white console and says, I need to get past you, and literally shoves him aside. I'm like, what yeah. the fuck is that? <laughs> <laughs> she's awesome. awesome. <laughs> really good. Really, really good. Yeah. I mean, actually, so uh, just, I've looked it up. It, yeah, so she's a, a Chicante is a, her her race. Mm-hmm. And I know I'm slightly repeating what you said, but yeah, looking at the description mm. here. So they're described as being squat, barrel-shaped biped creatures with four arms, mottled brown skin, and lipless fish-like heads. The Chicante yeah. also have moist eyes, flat noses, double rows of wide teeth, and big flat feet, which have fringes of toes running most of the way yes. around them. Oh, they, God, they have voices that, that sound like broken rocks, and their mm. society has a pantheon, pantheon of gods. So nice. that's all you, that's <laughs> that's all all we you know. really... Yeah. <laughs> and it's... Oh, yeah, she, she's so because, good. again, it's, it's nice, because like you just said earlier, where you, you've got some... Mm exceptionally tragic moments in this novel but then you've got mm. this amusing also also very fatalistic character yeah, yeah. oh yeah we're just probably gonna die anyway <laughs> you know never yeah. mind <laughs> it's like, it's all the time <laughs> it's, it's oh, awesome yeah it's so she's, good she's- She's super strong as well. It's like there's a there's a scene where a berserker charges the the Inquisitor's retinue, and like there's three perfect shots. Lacrance shot with his hellgun bounces off the armor and does nothing. And Toniado's uh, shot with his plasma cannon scrapes off some of the armor and does nothing. And then Chilcha just shoots him in the eye, and he yeah. and he fucking dies. <laughs> <laughs> She's lethal. She's really she, lethal. She kills so many Chaos Space Marines. It's insane. Yeah, <laughs> it's crazy. And it, and that's where again, I, I to me, especially this this crew of with mm. the Inquisitor feel very Star Wars. Like it's this real yeah. mixed bag. Yeah. I know the Inquisitor crews usually are, but because you've got this real mixture of of people, including a Xenos, it feels like the the uh, the the narky Chewbacca to the <laughs> a very deadly. <laughs> to uh to everyone else uh it's mm. yeah i love it i think it's such a great you know great diversion really to like I said, yeah, to all the grimness yeah. even though she is grim in her own way because again she's very negative and what are you looking at human stop looking at me um <laughs> it's, it's 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 fantastic and i i love mm. the fact that they're also willing to add some more unknown xenos uh faction. yeah species i should say into the because again we you know we've spoken about this before about there's a lot of these you know obscure ones that we don't really ever see and they never really forgot mm. about so it'd be, it'd be nice even if we never saw these you know obviously in in model form which i imagine we won't but it's nice oh. if this becomes a, a theme and especially in future books if we actually see a bit more background of mm. where she yeah. came from and what happened to the rest of her species that'll be cool if they yeah. explore that yeah i, I- I have a feeling Rostov will probably have another book dealing with Necron stuff, given how uh, how he sort of handled things in this book. And I would I would love to see like the crew raids a Necron tomb world, hmm. which as you know, Rostov, Necr- uh, Lacran, Antoniato, and Chilch 
yeah. all just kind of <laughs> they're, they're, they're doing Tomb Raider, but it's Necrons. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I I would love that. That'd be great. That'd be a good adventure book. Mm. That'd be that'd be a good one. <laughs> well, I, I I could see a spinoff with Rostov becoming mm. the new Eisenhorn and Ravener, like another oh, Inquisitor. Yeah, because yeah. uh, I mean, Rostov's quite interesting himself. He 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 doesn't give. He's mm. quite matter of fact. Uh, you don't know much about him. He's quite a steely sort of Inquisitor. I mean, he's very like he's, again a bit like Chilche. He's he's a bit he's very comfortable in himself. He goes, mm. "I'm an Inquisitor. I'll be honest. I'm going to get my own way." And like, there's even this bit yeah. where he's talking to. Van Lekkus, who we'll talk about shortly, and who's a very, you know, a very <laughs> blunt and uh, uh, individual to deal with at times as well. But like, there's, I think Masinius is sort of as part of the meeting is end up looking at his like heart mm. rate, and it's like dead sixty. Like no, like he's not yeah. phased at all by anything really. You know, he's sort of like yeah. he's proper get the job done, whatever. You know, and not you know not worry too much about it. Just get it done. Yeah, really. Um, I think he's a really. He could be. Like I said mm. he could become a very interesting character, even though we don't know much yeah. really about him. I think all we know is that he's got a few you know select skills. Obviously, he's a, he's a psyker, but also he can judge a person by sort of just meeting him. Is one of his supposed skills, and he can disappear easily as well. I yes. think it mentions as well. Yes. So it'd be interesting, like I said, if they explore that a bit more. You know, I suppose we'll see mm. next novel as well. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, shall we? Uh, shall we get a Primaris perspective? Yeah, That's the, they're yeah, quite important to this. Talk book. about Arreos. <laughs> yeah, uh, Ferran Arreos, mm. I think is great mm. as well. I uh, I keep saying great. Hey, guess what? This book is a. Ch- I don't want to say it's chore read. It's it's a task to read, mm. but it's good. It's, it's worth so it. So good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so Farron is a Primaris Lieutenant, uh, Messinius is sort of assigned to him, uh, to teach him the ropes, as it were, by Gilliman, because, uh, this, this book includes the reveal of Primaris Space Marines to the Imperium at large, and oh my god, Cole as a show, as a showman is such, is such a laugh as well. <laughs> like he said, he's up on his big grav platform, he's got two big TVs behind him showing close-ups of his face, like, behold, my genius made manifest, etc., etc. Uh, <laughs> just like showing off to all the High Lords and Gilliman and having a bunch of essentially unarmed Primaris Marines fight combat servitives to the death. Yeah. And they're like, uh, and like, part of the message is, yeah, I'm killing some of them. That's fine because then the reveal is the floor of this blacked out miles long chamber is covered in primary space marines, and the ceiling is covered too because they've mag locked their boots to the ceiling. Yeah, yeah there's so many. <laughs> <It's> just <laughs> yeah, there's so many. And Gillum's like, I estimate there's at least uh, forty two thousand of them. And he's like, yeah. How many more do you have? And and Cole says a number. Yeah, he doesn't and say. The history of the Imperium yeah. changes. He never says. I'm assuming it's like twenty million or yeah, something stupid like that. Yeah. He he's had ten thousand years to make these guys. He's got it down to a process. He's got guys working on it. There's 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 essentially infinite primary space marines. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but we we get to follow particularly uh, Ferran Arayos. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna say that's roughly how he's or Ares would be easier. Ares. Ares. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. Sorry. <laughs> um. Yeah, uh, because he gets waken up, woken up a little after everyone because he's assigned to work with Messinius specifically, mm. and the Mechanicus 
who are who are working to wake him up say, oh, he'll imprint on the first transhuman's face he sees, so it's better that we wake him up when you're here rather than risk him seeing another Primaris space marine and thinking they're daddy, yep. essentially. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And Basidia's like, what do you mean imprinting? Isn't he still, like, a human under there? It's like, oh, yeah, no, this isn't perfectly normal human process to imprint on the first thing you see after you've been asleep for a long time. Like, I guess? Yeah. <laughs> also also probably not true. That's probably a comforting lie, but mm-hmm. okay, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but he, he, Farron's story deals with, uh, they, they call it dislocation. I would probably prefer to use the term dissociation because- yeah. It's essentially, he was picked up something like 5,000 years ago in, on Necromunda, yeah, exactly. maybe. It's, it's an underhive. It's, it's an underhive. The one that leaps to mind would be Necromunda. It could be where the new Warhammer crime novels are from. It could be from Terror. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Um, but yeah, he, he says he, he, he dreamed of being turned into an angel essentially, and he dreamed of being a normal boy living his life in the Underhive, and now he's not sure which dream is real, because essentially that he's been awake for three days out of the last 5,000 years. <laughs> Every single one of those days was horrific torture being turned into a primary space marine. And he just doesn't understand if the universe is real at this point, and he's sort of coming to terms with what he's become, because his last solid memory is being like a six-year-old child. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now he's eight and a half feet tall, three hundred kilos of solid muscle. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like he's literally a child in a man's body. He's he's trained entirely by hypnomat. Like they've implanted knowledge into him. He hasn't learned anything for himself. He hasn't experienced anything except like what we got in um the the Cole novel we covered uh, with um. Oh God! What's his Tetrarch Felix mm-hmm. had some of that stuff. He's like your your only experiences are your childhood, and then Cole poking around in your brain, <laughs> yeah. And then you wake up and you're a primary space marine thousands of years later. Yeah, like his journey of sort of self discovery and coming to terms with what the universe is is crazy because even like the 40k Imperium changes a lot over the course of time, even though it's this ageless, crumbling thing. It was really different when he was a kid. He doesn't understand half the technology. He doesn't understand half the terms people are using. Cole refused to teach them about demons Mm -hmm. because the Inquisition doesn't want you doing that. And apparently Cole listened for once in his life and said, (laughs) okay, I won't teach them about the warp or the traitor Primarchs. And so when Messinius is talking about like the Horus heresy and says, you know, when nine of the sons turned against the emperor... The primary spaceship is like, wait, what do you mean? There were only nine nine Primarchs, all the loyal ones. And <laughs> yeah. then there are all the devils. And Mercedes looks at us like, what the hell is Cole being teaching yeah, you? Or not teaching you. <laughs> <laughs> or not teaching you, technically. Yeah. And like just this it's it's the it's the man out of time, but he's also like essentially experiencing like bodily dysmorphia at mm. the same time. He doesn't yeah. feel right in his own skin. Uh, he doesn't feel right in the roles he's doing. Like, he's suddenly thrust into command with Masinius helping him advise, like, how to run all these primary space marines. And it's like, every now and again, he has flashes of his past. Like, Gilliman says something, and he's like, ah, oh, he looks just like my father for a second. I'm like, oh, <laughs> that's rough to suddenly have that memory of someone who's been dead for 5,000 years mm. thrown at you. Um, no, his story is great. Uh, again, humanizing primary space marines. Um, they're not cold, emotionless killers. 
after the first six months. For the first six months, they are cold, emotionless killers, and then they remember how to be a human, essentially. Yeah. Seems to be the process. Yeah, but as a, as a, I suppose it's this coming off ice, isn't it? Effectively, it's, it, mm. it it feels very much like Neo waking up in the Matrix. It's sort of that sort of, like, you know, realization yeah. like of coming to and and like you said, it, it's this hilarious sort of parallel where they're they're actually older than a lot of the Marines that are teaching mm. them. Like Masinius is teaching them, and he's like they're actually you know literally older than him older. because obviously they've been yeah. on ice for thousands and thousands of years but they're but obviously they're, mm. they're almost like children trying to you know walk and and talk for the first time yeah. they're sort of learning how to which is again a horrific experience imagine like i said being oh, that yeah. young you know young lad in the underhive you know you know fighting for scraps and such like and then mm. sort of being taken you know being taken away because that's what they are they're effectively abducted yeah. half the time and then like you said mm. they uh, they're on ice, uh, you know, put away for ages. And I said, there's a moment sort of going through the primaris process and then wake up, right. Okay. This is the world now. And like I said, I mean, as, as yeah. high, and they, again, it's that sort of, sort of comparison to Gilliman where he's experiencing it, but mm. in a completely different way as well, where they're both almost yeah. trying to keep up to speed with things. And it's like, you've, it's yeah. almost like this sort of bleary eyed, but you know, it's like, again, in the films where they sort mm. of, someone's wake, you see their perspective and they're waking up and someone's like, come on, wake up. You got to save the Imperium yeah, now. Yeah. What? <laughs> what? Who? Yeah. Where? What? <laughs> I think. <laughs> I think the best. The best scene that illustrates it is um, he's going to meet Gilliman for the first time. So Messinius mm-hmm. is walking him through like the upper hive in terror, and Messinius is just kind of edging and pushing his way through the crowd, sort of effortlessly. And Farron is trailing really far behind because he doesn't know how to control his body. He's like, I could keep up with Messinius. But I would kill everyone within two meters of me by because I I don't know how to walk through a group of people like crushing. Them. I don't understand how my body works anymore. But yeah, he, he literally doesn't know how to like be gentle or like the basic social niceties or anything. All primary space marines are canonically hugely socially awkward mm. because they just don't know how to speak to people who aren't in a position of command or in a position of subordination below them. Like, they're, they're, they've been trained into those, and then they don't know how to talk to people who are outside the military hierarchy, essentially. It's like, I wouldn't even know what to say. I don't, I can't relate to these people, I can't understand what they're thinking. Like, he looks at a human and can't understand their body language, mm. because he's so far removed from it all after his mind's been, you know, imprinted with terrible, terrible scenarios. Incidentally, we find out what hypnomat training is like. Yeah, we do. You wait. You go to sleep. You wake up in a field with ten thousand orcs, a bolt gun, a bolt pistol, and a knife. You fight until you die. Then you wake up in the same field because you didn't do good enough. Yep. Try <laughs> again. You weren't angry enough. Try again. Get a higher kill count before you are killed. You're never going to survive this scenario. It feels perfectly real, but we need to up your efficiency in combat. <laughs> So that that's what the training is. That that is the only thing he felt was real that entire time, and he's come to terms with that was one of the only things that was fake. Yeah, <laughs> like it's, it's crazy, and and also actually as well as mm. you you see a good example of his detachment from things is his name as well. There's this moment where mm. he asked Masinius to go give me a name, like, and that's quite a yeah. quite a big thing. You know, you've been through all this, and then you he say literally just met him. Yeah, and he's like. <laughs> 
well, just give me a name. And that's where obviously the name comes from. Cause obviously, uh, I think that's where it, it, he's, he's kept Farron as his, you know, that's his, was his original name. name. And then yeah. obviously comes, uh, you know, Arios as the, as the surname. And yeah, yes. it's, I mean, that's a, that's again, oh. it sort of shows that, but it's almost like he doesn't really care. It's like, just mm. give me a name, whatever you feel you, is appropriate yeah. to name me. I want to move on. Yeah. This is my life now. I need to move forward. Give me something appropriate for that. Yeah. And so, Messinius being Messinius names him Arios after Ares, the Greek god yeah. of war. <laughs> yeah, <you laughs> because know. of course he does. <laughs> yeah. It's, and, and obviously this uh, is the same experience that all the other Primaris are, are, are going through as well. And it's quite mm. nice because you'll see, even though you, it doesn't go into much detail about it, particular individuals per se, but you have like, oh, this one looks like he could be a bit belligerent and, and this one's very inquisitive, yeah. you know, like, because again, it, yeah. they're a bit, still a bit like children. And again, I think another scene that epitomizes me or epitomizes this, I should say, is the fact that you've got where this scene where Macinus is sort of talking about, you know, what's happened and, and like I said, the heresy, and you've got almost like these primaris around a campfire sort of just like looking mm, like glaring at him. Yeah. Going, oh, tell oh, us more, man. please. You know, it's like, cause they just want to yeah. know what's like, cause they, they're struggling to understand this new world that they've never mm. been part of. And it's, yeah. and, and it, and it shows how flawless, oh, sorry, not flawless. They are to say that, yeah. you know, and we see that a lot, you know, even though you think, you know, when, if you've got this pre, you know, determined idea that Primaris, oh yeah, Primaris, the, that's all they're, they're doing, the greatest thing around. Yeah, we know. And it's, no, mm. they're not actually. Um, both from a character perspective, obviously they're struggling, but also even in the combat, they die. You know, they still get taken out by mm. those servitors and, and things like that. They're not, you know, they're just a little yeah. bit more efficient. But at this point, they're still mm. struggling because they've just, like I said, they've just woken up wondering what the hell's going on with the world and the universe and are expected yeah. to just go out and fight, which they can do. And, but obviously, and, the, and one key thing that often gets mentioned a few times, especially from Messinius is they need that experience. It's not like, cause they're going through regimental routines because again, they don't know any mm. different, but it's like, it's not, no, no, feel it. Don't, don't just go in, you know, go on instinct. Yeah. Don't just go in with your, you know, your subroutines in your head, you know, that this is how you fight. You need mm. to feel it. You need to, and which again is obviously how you know space marines end up fighting, and so you're seeing this sort yeah. of transfer, and it must be hard for Masinius as well because he admits to mm. himself this is our replacements, and and that's a yeah. hard thing to deal with when you've been helping keeping the Imperium afloat whilst this pro- yeah. unknown project yeah. has been going on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is uh, this is before the Rubicon Primaris is sort of finalized as a viable alternative to get Primaris marines. Mm. So he's like, yeah, no, these guys are gonna shove us out eventually yeah um yeah yeah it's rough Masinius <laughs> is great as well like he was there during the siege of terror mm-hmm. no not that siege of terror the yep. other siege of terror the newer one yeah uh, when the when when the, when the great rift first opened he was there on terror mm-hmm. yeah um i suppose we should kind of talk about the actual plot of the book a bit <laughs> um the the overarching story mm. is um yeah so this is the beginning of the indomitus crusade the first I'm going to say three quarters of the book is Gilliman assembling the eight fleets necessary to begin the Indominus Crusade and dealing with all the problems therein, such as a massive amount of sabotage. Like, you know, this this fleet's getting its reactors blown up and this fleet has a Nurgle contagion on it that mm-hmm. spawns demons and no one's told the leader of the fleet because, you know, it's a matter of honor that their fleet leaves first so we can't have any delays, so this can't get back to anyone, etc., yep. etc., and then the final quarter of the book is 
focusing in on the first fleet to leave, uh, Fleet Tertius, I believe. That's right, yep. Yep, uh, so technically the fourth fleet, but uh, they head to Hydrafer uh, to head off essentially a word bearer, not word bearer, world eaters uh, crusade force mm-hmm. uh, who are dragging an ever opening warp <laughs> rift behind them because. And um, the the threat here is if they get the warp rift to the nebula at the center of the system that Hydrafer is in, uh, it will explode and open up a warp rift directly to Terra, that's and right. then Abaddon can just sail on in. Yep. Uh, so that's actually quite a big threat. Yeah. Start of the Indominus Crusade. Well done. Uh, this all, like the actual threat of this, appears in the last two hundred pages of this five hundred page <laughs> <Yeah>. book. <laughs> like there there are hints of it, and we understand there are glimmers of it, but. It's never defined as the actual threat until basically the end of the book. And I think that's honestly kind of great. There's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think I think it's also, it, I was going to say, it comes to the, the first 300 <laughs> pages is, like I said, the setup. And then the last 200 pages, it, it, it really ramps up at that point, I feel. Like, mm, like this is actually yeah. the point of what's actually happening <laughs> at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we, we come to the end result of, the world leaders have teamed up with the word bearers. Woo. Because mm. the word bearers <laughs> have a great idea. Uh, so remember in the Horus Heresy when they created the Ruin Storm to mm-hmm. stop Gilliman from doing stuff? They're like, well, a big warp storm didn't cut it. So let's just make a bigger warp rift. Yep. <laughs> um, helping Abaddon with all the Black Crusades, creating the Cicatrix Maledictum. Uh, then they raided a bunch of Necron worlds and built Essentially, the ultimate Noctilith crown is what I'm going to call yeah, this. Yeah, that's um, what it gets described as. Yeah. They have a bunch of Blackstone pillars uh, set up on an asteroid towed behind a ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's this essentially this big rotating saw of Blackstone that is cut, that has been cyclically charged. Because remember, Blackstone can either repel the warp, or if you psychically charge it, it can attract the warp. Yep. And they're using this giant circular saw made of blackstone, basically, to saw open the fabric of the universe behind this ship. So the ship is literally dragging this ever-extending warp rift behind it. Tell me about the ship. Um, <laughs> oh, it's a great ship. Um, <laughs> it's covered in scabs. It is essentially one massive bloody scab. And in the end, in sort of the end game, uh, it reveals itself, it arches its back, bends itself in half, essentially, and breaks off all this flesh, because it's a demon-possessed ship, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and uh, it's got a big crocodile mouth, uh, just all the skull at one end, <laughs> uh, and then, and then the most... I think the most disturbing part of it is how it moves, because it has engines, but it moves by swimming through the warp, uh, through the, not through the warp, through the void of space. Like, it literally bends itself back and forward like a fish. Yeah. And just the image of it doing that makes my skin crawl because <laughs> it's, it's just a big metal ship. It's got eyes instead of cannons. And like, it bites one of the ships of the, of Strike Group Aster at one point. Like, it literally latches on with its mouth. They're like, this is so weird and like uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> but isn't isn't there a moment where because obviously it's got eyes as well. So there's this moment mm. where I think um, it's uh, Athagay because I think it's yeah it's mm. her it's yeah Saint Aster group that's dealing with this and like literally she's mm. like looking into its eyes and it's almost smirking at her 
as it's yeah, coming to yeah. literally bite her ship. <laughs> and I love this moment yeah. where she sort of screams, like, so, like, it's not the exact words, but like she screams to us, like, yeah. how has it got a mouth? <laughs> why does it have a mouth? Why, God, why? <laughs> it's a ship with big crocodile jaws. It's, it's yeah. horrific. I love it. I love it. I was like, yes, yeah. a demon ship is is it's such a, a such a ship. cool thing to have and like <laughs> and like I said it's the, it's this image of it dragging it's drag, dragging an asteroid with brass chains that that are bleeding mm. you know it's this really horrific yeah. sort of scene and like I said then like I said it attaches itself and I love the fact when they when they sort of deal with because I think it, is it which now which ship is it is it the Blood King that's the one that's got the the demon the statue on it I think it is isn't it it's not the yeah that's a that's a different ship yeah yeah. That's what I thought. It's the Blood King. This is an unnamed demon ship. Yeah, they just call it Hell Ship most of the time. So yeah, yeah, it's 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 awesome. It's you know it's bringing back these sort of uh, you know Battlefleet Gothica moments of chaos yeah, ships. It's just yeah. it's so wrong. And and I love the fact that they end up ending up on the asteroid. You know where basically um, it's I think it's, yeah it's mm. Rostov and Masinius and you know Chilche and and such like uh, end up on the uh, end up on the asteroid to, to obviously fight through mm. the you know, there's a bit of dark mech there and then like there's these world bearer uh dark apostles that are basically that's they're the ones yeah. that are fueling the the uh the this like i said this blackstone you know knockalith of sorts uh, <laughs> and there's these really cool scenes where they're obviously they're fighting the uh the dark apostles as well and and then end mm. up using it's basically like ne- necron tech isn't it basically like liquid metal yeah. to to yeah. basically override mm. to because like like cameron said is obviously you know blackstone can either you know nullify or you know uh i suppose expand Attract. uh, uh yeah. warp. and obviously this is what it does it basically that you know rostov ends up mm. throwing it onto the onto the machine and obviously it basically creates a massive null field and or null explosion mm. <laughs> to, which obviously rips yeah. apart all the many demons that are around and then like knocks all the humans on the ship, you know, literally knocks them all of them off their feet and, you know, start some mm. die, some mm. get injured. And what I like actually is again, it ties into like what we've seen with like psychic awakening where they start, like mm. they start saying, like, I feel like I've lost part of me, you know, like not physically, mm. but there's like, yeah. like their soul, like this, this null explosion is sort of taking something away from them, but they don't know what, which, I think yeah. it's really quite cool. Yeah, yeah, uh, and it ties into the great work. Mm. Surprisingly enough, because yeah. um, it it does exactly the same thing that all the Necron technology did to the sides of the Emperor's Fortress Monastery, yep, just right. faster. Yep, like it's literally slivers of metal get into this, uh, in this case, dark mechanicus machinery, switch it off, then switch it back on with green lights instead of red lights because it's now it's Necron tech. Um, yeah, and then disassembles the buzzsaw into its eight constituent pillars and sort of places them around to form a big stabilizer field, which I think is the best. Is uh, the best bit is like, no, we can't have a buzzsaw of stability. <laughs> yeah, it has to be pillars. that's not going to work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then it obviously it causes yeah, but, the, uh, the rift to, to disappear as well. Yeah, job done. <laughs> mm, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, tie, ties into our uh, psychic awakening and that earlier bit with the Mechanicus Explorator team because mm-hmm. they're in what they call the Nephilim anomaly. Yeah, and a bunch of people are in comas on their ships. There, they've just kind of passed out and gone completely inanimate, except for one who wakes up and's like, "The light, the light, <laughs> the teeth. Yeah. There is no God." <laughs> 
If it, yeah, if it uh, feels straight out of, yeah. um, what's that film? Uh, Event Horizon sort of feels like it's straight out yes. of that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, ties into that. And it's Nora's story because her missive is from that team in the Nephilim anom- yep. anomaly. Yeah. Like they, they sent a lot of high priority messages that all got ignored in the end. Yeah. Thank you, Imperium. Yeah. Thanks, Imperium. <laughs> it, but that's like, so that's how it sure, nicely. This won't be a problem down the line. <laughs> no, that's true. It, that's how it nicely sort of ties together. I think that's why, even though, mm. you know, like we said earlier, you've seen these story arcs that are sort of disappearing, but then they do come sort of full circle, especially in this end bit, which. You know, it does ramp up the yeah. uh, what's going on. Um, one thing also I did like talking about, I said a second ago about the Blood King, which is the other mm. sort of the, yes. the main World Eater ship that um, that seems to be, mm. I suppose, controlling the Chaos Fleet that that um, mm. Van Lekkus part of the of the fleet is dealing with. And I love the fact that so you know, so at this point, Ferran and his Primaris, you know, get onto the ship, deal with Chaos Space Marines for the first time in their case. And, you know, obviously the fighting that goes on with that. But I love the fact that when they get into the control sort of part of the, the ship, they're like, well, the, the crew's just dead in there. Like, but yeah. where, where is the chaos crew? And then they <laughs> and, and then they, they follow this trail of skulls and there's literally like this chaos yeah. statue that that is yeah. effectively controlling the ship. It's all completely over mm. it. And then obviously they start shooting it. It then, you know, starts coming alive and it's got like a, like a, it's got a claw in one, ha- you know, one hand, and on the other hand, it's got like a bolter type weapon in the other, which yeah. is awesome. And they mm. have to deal with that as well. I love it. Ca- you know, chaos demon. Another, so another, another <laughs> form of chaos ship, except for it's been sort of taken over uh, by uh, literally by a demon and is controlling it. You know, by being yeah. wired up to it. You know, demonically, which is mm. lovely yeah. viewing. Yeah, it was. It was very cool. I gotta say, I loved all the ship battle stuff. Yes, yeah. it felt very dynamic. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, like the um, Affigay is known for her breakneck maneuvers, <laughs> and there's a lot of points where she literally almost snaps her ship in half. Like this kilometers long vessel flexes, and it shouldn't do that. <laughs> like, uh, what, is, what is she? She she escapes. She escapes uh, cha- being chased by a chaos ship by diving into the gravity well of Fomor 3, the planet that's been overrun by the chaos forces. Uh, and at the last moment, guns her engines and manages to make it out. But because the chaos ship is bigger, it gets stuck and gets pulled in and just annihilates half the planet. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Which was already, you know, being bombed all to shit. Yeah. But yeah. True. <laughs> I think I think that's the thing. I, I like you. I, I'm. I really enjoyed the space battles and I'm not usually a massive fan of those because they can feel mm. a bit repetitive, a bit, you know, you've, you know, you've read one, you've read them all sort of situation, but yeah. I actually really enjoyed it yeah. because obviously it is quite a prominent part of this book. I like the relationship between um, Athagay and uh, Finula, her lieutenant, yes. who's keeping a oh, check, who's basically keeping a check on her drugs habit. Cause obviously Athagay yeah. is there snorting stims uh, at any given opportunity. <laughs> and obviously Finula is like, keep literally keeping track like you sure you want to be doing that you know yes this is how i become a better right commodore. <laughs> is this really the time uh which is uh really cool so no i, I like that and mm. also you 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 hit or read some really cool bits about the the, the way that the ships work like they seem to have a role for mm. everything there's a master of seers there's a master oh, yeah. of displacements there's like a, a role for every type of scenario and ha- guess what cameron mm. you know what what happens if yeah. you if you you know you get a cipher from an inquisitor I know mm. how I'm going to unlock it. I'm going to use a servitor <laughs> head in a box uh, to, yeah. to do that. Oh, that's my favorite. That was so good. It's like we've got a code incoming, and they look at they look at like the messages seal 
on the uh, on the signal transference. They go, oh, it's the Inquisition, I guess. Bring out the box. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and like, there's this there's this one guy on the command center whose only job is to do this. They haven't ever had a signal from the Inquisition before, I assume. Yeah, because they act, so they act like it. So this has been his job for the last however many years, just waiting for one of these to happen. And he's an old man at this point, and he brings this massive box and opens it, and there's just a head in the box, like, hooked up to a bunch of stuff, and he has to, you know, get all the preservatives out of the head, put some blood back into it, plug it into its socket, plug it into the tra- into the transfer message machine, and then it speaks a five-symbol code, and then he unplugs it. Yeah. <laughs> And puts it back away because that's all it was needed for. It takes like thirty minutes when this is an urgent mission. <laughs> <laughs> remember you, remember you, Grim Dark. You know pe- people that yeah, people yeah. that doubt that it's Grim Dark. <laughs> like yeah, there is moments. Oh, an Inquisitor, <laughs> an Inquisitor signaling us for help. We'll get to him in thirty-eight minutes when we finish <laughs> translating the signal and can make Planet Four. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's really cool. Um, yeah, a couple other things I wanted because I think we'll we'll start wrapping this one mm. up um for now anyway i think there's sort of two prominent things i wanted to talk about really um i think one i yes. like the cameos in it because obviously mm. uh guy haley's not frightened to reference some of the characters obviously we've spoken about belisarius call uh obviously you see Kavo yep. 87 he's in there uh there's yes. a, you actually see yes. felix briefly even though he's not mentioned fabian meets really? yeah fabian meets um felix right towards the end there's, you know, when Fabian is oh. is going to meet Gilliman before. Oh yeah, he does. He meets him, but oh he doesn't know. He can't remember. It. He doesn't sort of register his name. He doesn't yeah. say it. But he's the law, the law, no. the the equerry to 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 Gilliman, which would mm. be Felix. So he mentions Felix him there, at but that not, point in time, yeah. But not, but by name, <laughs> obviously we we see uh, Alpha Primus as well. You know, the the very mm. first Primaris Marine, the one that's in a lot of pain, the yeah. you know the super psycho one. He. He has yep. a, a moment with Masinius, you know, sort of basically saying, "Don't trust Cole." <laughs> yeah, he made me. He's inherently untrustworthy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. which is uh, which is really cool. Um, he, not that he's in it, but he mentions Valerian as in Valerian the Custody mm-hmm. out of the Chris yep, Rate yep. No, um, novels as well, which is really cool. Yep. So yeah, I like yep. that. I mean, again, it it wasn't overdone. It wasn't like they're massive parts of this because they're actually mm. only little side things. But I like that continuity and sort of linking them all together because. Yeah, that's right. They yeah. need to be yeah. referenced in it because did, they're part of it. Uh, yeah, how do you feel about the Horus Heresy series being a canonical series of <laughs> books written and handed out to fleet masters? Well, in in a in a romantic novel type of way. <laughs> oh my god, that was so good. So Fabian, we haven't really mentioned him much, but no. he's he's a scribe that Gilliman picks up to be one of the first actual historians in ten thousand years. Yeah. Uh, and his his first job is to make a concise history of the heresy, and a lot of his uh a lot of his reference material is late late thirty fourth millennium romances, mm-hmm. which are surprisingly accurate. All these are like, is there is the Horus Heresy based? Is the Horus Heresy book book series canonically based on like? A, a Fulgrim ex Ferris Manus fan fiction that someone wrote in the year 33,000. Because God, I hope so. God, that would be so good. Oh. <laughs> but it's like, it's, it's twisted just a little. It's like, you know, the first line of the first book is, I was there the day Hor- uh, the Emperor slew Horus instead of the day Horus slew the Emperor. 
etc. Yeah, yeah, I, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, because he gets um, compared to um, what's it, Cinnamon, isn't it? The one out of the Heresy mm. as well. He sort of makes that comparison, saying, "Oh, you could end Cinderman, up being yeah. uh, Cinnamon. That's it. Who um, yeah. you could end up being like." So yeah, again, I love that reference there. I like how it's sort of you know not frightened to tie things together. It's really yeah. really cool. Yeah. Um. It just. You have to read all the Horus Heresy books now because they're canonical 40k propaganda material. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love, it. Love it. Oh, dear. Um, and actually, one of the last things, which I think is very important, I wanted to sort of pick mm. out in this novel as well, is again, it's sort of tying in earlier where I was sort of saying where the way this book was written was Guy mm. Haley wasn't frightened to deal with certain things, like especially you know subjects yes. like we discussed where you know there's some very sad stories in this but what i like is he deals with some things that in real life uh are contentious subjects for certain individuals as well mm. um and he i like the way he deals with them and sort of you know he's like no we are going to talk about this we're going to have these sort of characters mm. and be proud of it you know for example obviously yeah race obviously with Farron. Yeah. Um, he's the the black space marine on the on the front cover yep. and i like Caused the fact I like, I like the fact that he um sort of you know as the reference to that is that obviously call has pulled individuals from many different planets mm. so yeah you know again it's and i like the fact that it's not a big deal it's like no this is the way it should be people mm. are going to look all different yeah. and of different races it doesn't mm. matter what they are I like i like it sort of it's referenced but and it, but it's not overblown it's like no this is the way you know is in it's yeah. it's no big deal this is the way things are you know and the way things should be that oh, yeah, you don't yeah. that it's not a big deal i like the fact that he's embraced some of the characters like van lekas and and athagay like really strong female characters like really mm. blunt mm. like you know van lekas is like abnormally tall and and is like really oh, really yeah. strong-minded and like gilliman really backs her as mm. well like saying yeah okay she's blunt she's brash yeah she's over the top but she's bloody brilliant and it's like yes you know having mm. these lovely strong women characters and then obviously xenophobia as well with chilche you know mm. where they're looking at the xenos character like really harshly like they're like revolted like they mm. say they're revolted by her and it's like you know and it just shows how xenophobic the the imperium yeah, is yeah. is it is at times and i like the fact he's mm. dealing with these subjects but not trying to make it the the crux of the novel because obviously it's not about no, that but it's no. it's like no these things are are part of it and should be and you know and show it for better or worse i really like that yeah oh yeah yeah i yeah it's it's those trimmings that help it feel concise because honestly in my head the imperium was always like this they were <laughs> always you know, people of color and women in positions of power and this vast array of, because it's, it's all about all of humanity. As long as you're human, the Imperium is fine with you. Yeah. You're good enough. Yeah. And like, it just, it's just something that, again, in recent years has begun to be more properly represented in, you know, in the hobby, both in models and in books. Yeah. And exactly. in, the, just in the way models are officially painted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, the only black people are now not just, uh, the salamanders. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Thank God. Exactly. Yeah. The way it should be. Um, yeah. And like, yeah, the Imperium is a terribly xenophobic place, but there's also still room for, um, like, degrees in there like uh what is it Messinius Messinius is thinking about children is like oh you know the white consoles aren't one of the most uh militantly dogmatic chapters but he so he's like oh we don't hate the aliens 
just because they're aliens behave the aliens because so and so and so and so it's mm. like he's, he's like i'm a moderate look at me i'm so progressive yeah. hating the alien just immediately <laughs> yeah and, but i still hate, hate them but she still loathes him yeah <laughs> I like i guess i guess this is progress there's a space marine who would work with aliens if they need if they really needed to yeah which is always always existed in the law with like the eldar and mm-hmm. stuff like that yeah. like space marines have always out of necessity interact with them but like to have to have uh, a member of a chapter come out and say we are technically more moderate in this degree than most chapters. Mm. We don't. We find them disgusting to look at, but we are not. We don't object to them helping. Us, yeah, I guess is a step forward. Yeah, it's better than nothing. I, <laughs> I mean, suppose. it's like the, Gilliman. Look, Gilliman's got a lot of work to do before he brings Ivrain out at his, you know, five hundred seventy ninth birthday for their engagement. Is all I got to say there. Um, <laughs> Everyone's favorite fan. A lot of opinions got to shift. <laughs> Yeah, a lot of opinions got to shift before their love will be accepted. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> no, I, I, I'm really pleased to see it. I like it. I think it's it's mm. good. It's what's needed as part of this as yeah. well. You know, it's 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 good to see. So I'm no, I'm really pleased that the, mm. the way it's been dealt with. Yeah. Uh, not you know. So uh, yeah, I was. Uh, man. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, was there? I just, a- I just. Sorry, carry on. Sorry, I just remembered the the very first thing Lacrant, the uh, the Imperial Guard officer, does when he sees just like. Chiosha shoots the marine, shoots the berserker attacking him and his squad, and he wheels around, sees an alien with a gun, and shoots her in the shoulder. Yeah, yeah. she's like, she's like, why did you do that? I just saved you. And he's like, it's an alien. Yeah, yeah. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, well, they, they got you real good, huh? Yeah, <laughs> they got you real good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, awesome, awesome. I love mm. it, but uh, it's a very good book. It really is. <laughs> uh, was was there anything else you wanted to add before we wrap this up? Um, I don't think so. Overall, again, I'm I really looking forward to like the future books in this series because mm-hmm. I feel they'll be easier to digest because they'll be able to be more focused. But I'm really glad we have such like a broad spanning novel that sort of encompasses all of this stuff because. This is your one stop, sh- one, yeah, your one stop shop for everything generic Imperium setting. You want to know roughly how the Imperium functions? Read this book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's an awful place that doesn't function is the answer, but that's an answer, I guess. Um, <laughs> like you want to, you want to be up to date on how things are going to be moving forward. Like, you know, Primaris Marines are here. We're going to have books. We're going to have more books about them, more books focus on them good place to get a first look at uh how primaris sort of fit into the setting as a whole there's bits about belisarius call honestly i would recommend reading this and then going back and reading the novels that came out over the course of eighth edition dealing with primaris stuff and and uh call because that is the the order to do them in chronologically <laughs> like dark imperium plague war the great works all those books come out after this yes including devastation of bile technically yeah that's right yeah comes out uh, yeah. comes out a good while after this yeah obviously the crusades <laughs> well in the in its motions at that point when they come and obviously mm. help save it so yeah no I, yeah. I i agree with that it's almost like it you know from a time perspective it's sort of taking a step back to then go forward again it's sort of just mm. one of those where yeah. yeah we're starting to see the actual 
origins and beginnings and the intricacies of how the crusade sort of came about and and also it's what it's also the stories of things that they're going to get up to that we're going to see as well because obviously as we know the crusade went on for about a hundred or so years and obviously there'll be lots of battles mm. and you know it's not just gone oh yes and we ended up at Baal the end you know it's there's lots of things <laughs> that happen so it, they'll be able to explore that yeah. as well as obviously bringing these characters I'm sure we'll see Gilliman you know keep going forward as well hopefully we'll see you know like Rost- you know Rostov mm. and his crew as well how they sort of go forward as well so yeah I'm, I'm and I hope that Again, like we said right at the start of this, I hope with as they release each of these books, they start adding more of these sort of like you know the appendices and things like that. That'd be quite cool, you know, just to mm. sort of give us a bit more info. I, I feel like this novel is a bit like the great work where it's a good novel, but the, one of the best bits of it mm. is the little you know, little bits of detail you can pick, like, oh wow, yeah. I didn't know that, oh I didn't know that. And it's again, it's a bit like this where it's sort of the story's cool. I like it. Again, there's a lot to take mm. in, but you've got lots of little things you, about Primaris, about Gilliman, about how how some how you know terror works in some ways, the politics between fleets, you know, things that you wouldn't always see a bit about, and it's just adding another layer to each of these different things. So, um, yeah, mm. I'm I'm really hopeful for where this goes, and I'm really looking forward to whenever. And knowing Guy Haley, it'll probably be out next week. You know, bloody quick, he seems to write novels, so mm. we'll we'll see. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Right, that's been Avenging Sun. Uh, we say, mm. read it. Um, yes. And now we say, break, because uh, <laughs> we're now going to take <laughs> yeah. a very much needed break. And when we return, we're going to try to decide what is the best AOS start collecting box. Oh, fancy that. Ooh. Back soon. Oh, hello there. It's discussion topic time. I hope mm. your break was as nice as ours. So, oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so as mentioned earlier, we're going to be going through all, well, according to this 28, according to the GW site, even though I think one or two are missing from the filter. So we'll have to add those in as well. But there's about, mm. yeah, late 20 something start collecting boxes yeah. for AOS. So we're going to said go through each of them and decide which we feel is the best, or at least maybe the top so-and-so of them is, mm, I think, getting down mm. to one. It's going to be quite hard, so it's going to be quite cool because it'd be something different for us to do. So, yes. yeah, so basically we're going to be looking at each kit, uh, or each box, I should say, and then, you know, talk about what's the contents of it, and then sort of, like I say, give our opinions, really, from, you know, from a model perspective, from a theme perspective, from... I know we're not competitive players, but what we understand are good units in general mm. you know, for that and yeah. just see what seem to be the best ones out there. So yeah. we've sort we right. So we've sort of put it in, you know, in A to Z category, but Roughly. be warned beast core raiders are coming first because of filters and stuff on this website. <laughs> <laughs> so um, apologies for this. <laughs> we're starting with B, even though there's going to be an A, but Hey, that's the way it goes. So yeah, exactly. let's start with, Beast Claw Raiders. So, what do you get in the box? You get, you get. so you get right. So, basically, you get a stone horn, uh, which mm-hmm. can be built as a thunder tusk, and you get mm-hmm. a Mournfang pack. So, that's yeah. four of the ogres riding Mournfangs. Mm-hmm. So, quite a simple kit. Five models in it. I yep. own it. I've built it myself. Mm-hmm. And so, Cameron, what do you think on it? I think this is kind of one of the better value ones because the stone horn alone is pretty much worth the price of the box um, <laughs> yeah yep. uh, and also 
this is if you want to do just pure beast claw raiders this is like the the two kits you want you want mornfangs uh for your for your basic troop not troops uh well they battle line battle units yep. And they're good units too, they're tough, they're relatively speedy now, especially with the ability to be hungry. Um, <laughs> mm. uh, and then the, the Stonehorn slash Thundertusk kit makes a priest, it makes a uh, more melee focused hero, it makes a more ranged focused hero, and it makes just a general battle line behemoth, if you want to yes. go with the one with the two ogres riding it as That's well. That's right. That's like, right, yeah. And... Just aesthetics-wise, these are the two best-looking Beast Claw Raiders kits. Yeah. Because they're the new ones. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. This, this, is, this is a great box, and it's one of the cheaper Star Collecting boxes as well. Mm. Uh, it's, yeah. it's at the standard old-school Star Collecting price, as opposed to some of these newfangled ones. Yeah, these £60 <laughs> ones. No, I, uh, I, I, <laughs> I agree. No, I, I, I love the kit. Because, like I said, I I do own it and I built it myself. And you're right. If you want Beast Core Raiders, this is going to be the way to go. Because the good way about this one is you can buy a few of these, and you're pretty you're pretty much set, or almost mm. set, really. Because you know, points wise, uh, I'm a bit out of the loop, but they were about it's about 400 points for the Stonehorn, which is what most people mm. would run in this. And then you're talking, I think, about 200 odd for the the mournfang so you've got 600 points at least or there so you know by the time you get two boxes of these which like you just said they're a bit cheaper than some of the other start collecting boxes you've got mm. well over a thousand points and you've got units you're going to be wanting to run anyway obviously if you're oh, yeah. going for a more tribes army which obviously mm. is, you know can be a combination of beast claw and you know the other ogre side of things then again this is a lovely sort of collection to have really and obviously because mm. you've got uh the rest of the the units in the army uh, are quite slow. Like you, you, you know, your other types of ogres generally, they're not as fast. These, you know, if you want your fast units, these are the ones you're going to want really. And like I said, mm. the Stonehorn Thunder Tusk kit is very, is very cool. It's a gorgeous model, especially the Stonehorn. And yeah. the fact you, like you said, you've got multiple options of what you build out of them. Yeah. I mean, if you're, if you're into Beast Claw or more tribes, this is a, ultimately a complete no-brainer, I think, really, oh, yeah. if you want it. Yeah. And, it's, and like I said, it's very thematic. It's got the units mm. you want. So, yeah, very cool. Very cool, that one. <laughs> Good start. Right, mm. so let's go Solid back to stuff. A. <laughs> yes. <laughs> seems to be the way things are going. So this is going to be start collecting Anvil Guard, Anvil which is actually Guard. one of the newer ones, but obviously the models yeah. are not <laughs> some of the newer no. ones. No, yeah. This this is more accurately start collecting dark elf corsairs and as yes. such this is this is already a strong contender for my favorite box. Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> cool. Um ever since the the corsair models so in this case these are black art corsairs not dark elf corsairs anymore. Ever since those released way back in the long ago of Warhammer Fantasy Battle they have been some of my favorite fantasy models. They still hold mm-hmm. up really well I reckon. Uh yeah. the the fleet master is awesome because it's a it's an elf with a peg leg that is also a knife. What else <laughs> do you want? Um, the Scourge Runner Chariot is super cool and I believe can be alternately built as the one pulled by cold ones. Yes, uh, and apparently it's quite a good unit as well. I've seen I've seen some people run it mm-hmm. pretty well. And then uh, the Hydra slash uh, I forget the name of it. what's the name of the Car- other Caribdis. Carabdis, yes, yeah. So you can have a Caribdis or a War Hydra. 
both look awesome. The characters mm-hmm. is super creepy, and they're really good monsters. Again, like mm. super cool kits. Some of them are older but hold up. Some of them are newer and look awesome. Uh, and as far as the units go, as far as I know, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah, mm. I'd, I'd I'd agree with that. I think that, like I said, I think it's one of the nicest looking start collecting boxes. Like I said, I love dark elves or what they used to be and i'm also excited to see what mm. we see when malarian stuff eventually comes out but it's a nice <laughs> yeah. balance as well like i said you got the uh you got the fleet master you've got a, a battle line u- uh, unit obviously in the black mm. art corsairs you got a cool monster and like i said that that uh chariot i think the scourge runner version mm. uh with one of the horses is was from what i understand was very meta not long ago i think mm. there's obviously been point changes but i think what you get for the points was fantastic really like some people yeah. were just running loads of those chariots so obviously this was an easier way especially when you can obviously ebay them as well get it when people break down mm. these kits so yeah i think as a kit i think from what again going back to sort of the the tabletop side i think some of the units like the the corsairs aren't great but like i said you need if you need battle line and obviously if you're going for an anvil guard (laughs) army again (laughs) these are the units you're gonna uh ideally want as well so yeah i think thematically and it's Mm. great and i think balance wise it's great because you're getting a nice mix you know hero battle line monster and a fast attack you know type of uh unit as well very cool Mm. right yeah so next is Start Beasts collecting of Chaos. Beasts of Chaos, yeah. Mm. Uh, this is another super strong box, believe <laughs> it or not. Uh, this one is actually really good from what I remember of how Beasts of Chaos work because there, there's there's three kind of infantry units in Beasts of Chaos. There's Ungors, there's uh, regular Gores, and then there's Bestigors. Now, mm-hmm. the problem with regular Gores is they're halfway between Bestigors and Ungors, so they're okay in melee, but they're not as good as Bestigors, and they're bad at range, which makes them automatically worse than Ungors at range, and they're more expensive than they should be, so everyone always just says, take Ungors for your ranged skirmishing slash cheap chaff units, and then take Bestigors for everything else. <laughs> this box has 10 Ungors and 10 Bestigors. It's, it's pretty good. Um, and mm-hmm. then they say, Take a Bray Shaman. Its basic spell is really good because it is. And it's got a Bray Shaman. And then it's, you know, take a Cygor to hunt wizards if you want to have some range support. Or just take the Gorgon to kill and eat everything. And it's got a one kit that does either of those. It's, again, models are nice. Rules for them are really good. And it's a really good solid base for a Beast of Chaos uh, army. Like, in terms of actually starting collecting, I think this is one of the better ones. Because it gives Mm. you weak chaff troops strong elite troops a big monster and a wizard which yeah. is like the kind of things you want to hit there yeah yeah i'd agree with that i think i i <laughs> i will i will insert that my knowledge of beast of chaos especially tabletop mm. is next to none i and then saying it's very rude but i forget they exist mm. yeah that's <laughs> one of these factions that just, like, oh yeah beast of chaos they exist uh so i yeah. don't but my limited knowledge when it comes to like what you just said, I think from, again, from a balance point of view, it's great. Like I said, you're getting a wizard, you're getting battle line, you're getting a big, cool monster and with obviously a couple of combinations. And again, I think with beasts of chaos, they're most of the units you're going to go for. So mm. yeah, I think it's good value. Definitely. And like, like you said, the, the, the models definitely hold up well as well. Oh, which yeah. is always good yeah. to see. Right. Uh, Demons of corn is the mm. next one um so this is one where you get a herald on a blood throne three blood crushers and 10 blood letters um mm. 
Uh, I'm not over the moon with this one. I'm being honest. No. I'm, it's not. It's not one I'm feeling. I've got. I've got always animosity towards blood letters because they're one of the most mm. awkward, horrible kits to build. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, that's fair. Um, um, and I don't. I'm not. I think they're a bit boring sometimes. It. I. I. Mm. I. It's difficult because I don't think many people. Again, I'm. I could be wrong on this. I don't think many people do demons of corn like as a complete force. Obviously, you no. would integrate them with, you know, whether you go for the full, you know, multi demon army that we saw as part of Wrath of the Ever Chosen, mm. so the the Chaos Ascendant one, or obviously if you're going with obviously your corn mortals as well and things like that. And obviously, this will get yeah. used in 40k as well. I don't know. It just seems a bit of an uninspiring box. Yeah, if I'm being honest. Yeah. I mean, it's all right. It's all the plastic corn kits that were available mm. at the time that didn't include a Bloodthirster. Yeah. Uh, thing is, I love the Blood Crusher models. They are so cool. Yeah. As far as I know, they're not great uh, in terms so, of the game. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the Bloodletter models look nice, but as you said, they are apparently a complete pain to work with. Yeah, they are. Like, just <laughs> terrible, terrible to work with. Um, the Blood Throne is interesting. It's one of the it's one of my least liked models overall, I think. Just it fits corn, but it doesn't fit the aesthetic of the rest of the corn demon units. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Like it feels just a little out of place. It is mitigated by the fact that you could build it as a uh blood cannon or whatever it is. Skull cannon. The herald, yep. Skull yep. cannon and put put the herald on foot and eke an extra model out of it and get a decent shooting model yep. out of it. But um yeah, I mean, I mean, if you're doing corn, people seem to really favor doing uh, corn mortals rather than corn demons. They at do, the moment. yeah, yeah. So uh, it's fine. The models are generally fine, just not, not, uh, not inspiring. I think is the right thing yeah. to say. Yeah, definitely. But they could spice this up, do some flesh hounds instead of the blood letters. I think that'd be fun. But yeah, I yeah. agree. I don't know. It just it's a bit of a samey kit, and again, I know you can apply mm. that logic to a lot of the others, but it just yeah, it just doesn't feel like it's diverse enough, and it it feels a bit forgettable. I think as a yeah. as a box yeah. really. So that's fair. Wow. We'll move on then to start collecting demons of Nurgle. Mm. Now this box. Mm. Uh, I mean, if you want to run demons of Nurgle, this is what you want. This is what you want. It's got ten uh, ten plague bearers, three Nurgling bases, uh, three plague drones, and a pox bringer. Yep. Um, now, I do not know so much of the AOS Nurgle Demon side. I know for 40k, <laughs> this is a pretty good box because is, you want yeah. Plague Bearer blobs, you want Nurglings, and you want a Pox Bringer. Yeah, the drones, definitely. eh, but you can always use them as spawn or something. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and this is one I've gotten myself. The models are all pretty damn cool. They're easy to work with despite their age. Um, uh, it's a pretty, it's a pretty good box. Um, yeah. Nurgle stuff. Is good. What can I say? Yeah, <laughs> I agree. I think it's actually better for forty k than AOS. Actually, I, I like yeah. the fact you get four units in it if you include the pox mm. bringer. I like the. I like that. Mm. It feels like you get, and it's one of the cheaper ones as well. So I think you get. Yeah. You get a good amount for your money. Uh, obviously, I suppose it's offset slightly that you're probably going to want multiples. You're probably not going to want just ten plague bearers. You oh yeah, want, no. Uh, just three nurglings, but. You know, that's the whole point of start collecting as well. Is yeah, it yeah. kicks things off. So, uh, Ideally, like said, you'd the... buy three of these, I think. So you could have yeah. 30 Plague Bearers, three lots of Nurglings to fill cheap yeah. troops and spot around the battlefield, and then more Pox Bringers can be converted into the other types of Herald. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like you said, it's not it's not a bad kit. I just mm. like I said, I think you're you're more likely to probably buy it for forty k than AOS. I yeah. think because yeah, of, obviously definitely. the other the other Nurgle one that will. We'll get to eventually. Mm. Oh, so. yes, the other Nurgle one much better for yeah. the <laughs> <laughs> Right, so mm. Demons of Slanesh. Um yeah. so this I like this one. This is so this is one where it comes with the Exalted Seeker chariot of Slanesh. It comes with mm-hmm. ten demonettes and five seekers. Uh I like this kit because I think it yeah. again it epitomizes all the things you're gonna want with mm. Demons of Slanesh, and obviously as we know. Demons of Slash is obviously a very strong army in AOS, and also you don't really you don't really see many mortals as such. I know there is a few, but it obviously yeah. it's a very demon heavy army. Uh, but I like it because obviously you're realistically going to want demonettes. It's a, you know mm-hmm. it's a staple of that unit, and obviously you're getting ten of them. Uh, to me, the models still hold up really well. Uh, the Seekers mm-hmm. are really cool, fast unit. Again, they're very good in 40k if you're going uh, Demons Slash as well, and obviously yeah. the Chariot. Uh, which I believe is an absolute pain to deal with uh, that, yes. that model, but yes. you've got so many options with it. You know, that's the good mm. thing. It can have, it can be like, I think about three or four different yeah. types of chariot. Well, you've know, got the hell flares and yes. things like that as well. Yeah. And the, the good thing is it's, it's the parts to build an exalted seeker chariot, which means yep. it's actually the parts to build two chariots. Yeah. Because the right. way you build the exalted seeker chariot is you literally build two chariots and then <laughs> bash them together and put something in the middle. Uh, yeah <laughs> pretty much uh so yeah. you you could you could easily just make this two chariots plus 10 demonets plus five uh seekers which is really good yeah. and again, in in terms of uh hidden knights these are all really good units mm-hmm. model wise i would prefer to replace the seekers with three fiends because the fiends models are just so goddamn gorgeous but rules wise yep. this is a very good box and the models are all nice so yeah 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 it's very <laughs> usable i think yeah mm-hmm Right, so who's next? Daughters of Cain. So obviously this is yes. one of the newest start uh, as mm. of today in this recording. It's one of the newest <laughs> ones. Uh, so so it's, this is one that's definitely about options, even though yes. you haven't got that many stu- you know models inside the no. the box. Oh so, well, it's two kits. Let's point yeah, out this is two yeah, kits yeah. that builds. Let me let me double check the the things that you can build. I think. Seven units out of this box potentially something like that uh well eight really you got two yeah Yeah, so you can have so you can build either a cauldron of blood a hag queen or slaughter queen a blood rack medusa or the five blood stalkers or it can be a blood rack shrine a hag queen a slaughter queen on foot an avatar of cain and five blood stalkers so it depends yeah which Actually, yeah, that's wrong. It, Actually, saying that, well, the blood is sorry. It's mentioned it blood stalkers twice, but they could be blood ah, sisters as well. Sisters, yes, yeah, because you've got uh, the Melisai box, which is nice, and then you've got the Cauldron of Blood box, which is really nice. Mm-hmm. Again, I've got I've got both these kits. Uh, the Cauldron of Blood kit is absolutely gorgeous. It is the thing is this is a star collecting box for a reason because Melisai are nice to have. If you're playing Daughters of Cain, you need a Cauldron of Blood kit because it builds. Yep. All of your HQ choices, it's the only way to get them in plastic besides Marathi. Yeah, um, that's right, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's super versatile. Again, all the stuff in it, super nice model-wise as well. Mm-hmm. That avatar statue slash actual avatar is really, really nice. And the Medusa yeah. is gorgeous. Oh, I love it. <laughs> yeah, agreed. And it's something they very much needed, because obviously they've only recently mm-hmm. had it, and 
obviously the problem with with Daughters of Cain, money wise, it can be a very expensive army, especially when you've got to buy yeah. lots of witch elves. So it's nice they've got at least a way of mitigating price a bit. <laughs> mm, mm, definitely right. <laughs> Fleshy to courts. Yes. Uh, so this is a kit where you can obviously you get uh, ten. Uh, crypt ghouls you get uh, mm-hmm. three crypt horrors which can be done as flares and you get basically the terror geist kit which can also be yes. terror geist it can be a zombie dragon it can be a ghoul yeah. king on either of those two as yep. well um, or a ghoul king on foot <laughs> or, uh, as that as well yeah. so yeah um i mean <laughs> from a kit perspective this is if you're obviously into fleshy courts where you've obviously got a limited range in general this is this is the, the stable mm. of building this army. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those where you could get two, you know, three of these boxes and you're within reason, you're pretty much got an army because it, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, of big monsters you've got. Cause if you, like I said, if you bought three of these, you'd have 30 ghouls, which you could obviously, you know, use for uh, battle line and a bit of summoning as well. You have, you'd have three monsters, mm. which can be used as battle line in certain yeah. uh, courts as well. And then you've got, the horrors and flares, which are from memory flares are the, the better of the two at the moment, yes. tabletop wise, um, which can be really good as well. And obviously can be used to make some of the hero units as well. So mm. this is a really flexible kit. And because of the, like I said, the limited range, you know, this is, like I said, going to be the staple of this army. Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, the kit, the kits are nice. I've worked yeah. with the terror Geist kit. Super nice mm. kit. Yeah. Makes I've a really good that. model. Um, and it's technically a half, box of ghouls because i believe the ghouls come in a 20 man box otherwise That's right. but yeah this this makes it super simple to get 30 man units so you, you could buy two of these and then two ghoul boxes and you'd have 60 ghouls so two mm. groups of 30 which is yeah. plenty yeah, as far yeah. as I as far as I'm concerned, it's plenty. Um. <laughs> yeah, it it t- it covers all your bases because from what I understand with with fleshy courts, you because you've got mo- even though they've got a limited range, you've got a uh, model range. I mean, you've got mm. multiple ways of playing them. Like you can go for a horde type, you know, where you've got loads of ghouls, or you can go for the monster style army mm. where you've got you know not many units, but you've got big hard hitting ones. And like I said, because you can you know this kit provides most of that you're sorted mm. really so this yeah. i think is one of the strongest you know from uh, obviously model wise i i really like them obviously some people say that the ghouls look a bit dated i think they're okay uh, they're fine I think they're, they're fine i think they are too <laughs> but i think it's one of the best boxes you know from a building mm. like you know you want oh, yeah. to build an army you, you know this is definitely yeah. one of the best ones everything by, by a lot so yeah. um, right. st- start collecting fire slayers. This is mm. this is one of those famous start collecting boxes where, uh, for a time when you tried to buy a magma droth, they would just send you one of these instead because <laughs> yeah. the magma droth was more expensive than this box, and this <laughs> box came with more stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So yep. it is a uh, it is an auric rune father on magma droth who can also be assembled as an auric rune son or a rune master on magma droth. Uh, a rune smiter, a rune sun, and ten Volkite berserkers. So it's mm. essentially, um, you've got a character on a mount, two characters off the mount because it's whoever's not on the mount from the kit, basically. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, then, then ten of your very basic battle line unit. Um, yeah, this is a pretty good box. The magma Droth is one of the most gorgeous monsters in Age of Sigmar. Mm. I'd agree it with that. Beautiful kit. Um, it's expensive to get outside of this box. This box really helps with the cost of that because you're also getting your basic, uh, your basic infantry need. 
for any Fire Slayer's army. You need you need Volkite Berserkers. They're good. You want them. Um, and a couple of support heroes as well is nice. Yeah, it's again. I think it's one of those where people end up buying molds. You know, either oh, yeah. one or two of these. Um, like you said, you get your your battle line. I mean, it's always tricky with fire slayers because I I, I must admit they're an army where I always get a bit confused about their units because they do look very mm. very similar. It's very hard <laughs> yeah. to differentiate some of their units. Oh, it's so hard to pick out heroes, even. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. so. <laughs> Yeah, it's but you know as as a again as a, from a balance point of view and a theme point of view, it's it's spot on because like you said, you're getting a couple of heroes, a battle line, and a big monster, mm. which yeah, I think is always one of the best to to go with. Right, okay, mm. Gloom Spite is next. Yeah, and I'm from what I understand, this is quite a polarizing box as well. Yeah, yeah. So like thematically it's a really good box because you hit the three main highs of Gloom Spite. You have the Loon Boss for regular goblins. You have a bunch of squigs for all the squig side of things and then you have some rock gut trugoths for the troll side of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and those are all really cool units. Like the Loon Boss is great. Squigs are just dumb fun and the rock gut trugoths are actually pretty decent at range surprisingly. They can throw rocks and do model wounds and stuff. Yeah. But in terms of a start collecting box, none of these units work with each other at all. No. <laughs> like, the Loon Boss can do nothing for either of these units. The Squeaks mm-hmm. and the Trogos want to be doing completely different, unrelated things. Like, th- this box is really good if you already have a hundred regular Grots. Yep. Because you're adding some spice and a commander. As a start collecting box from here, you have to buy a bunch of battle line, a bunch of other heroes, and that kind of stuff is not as good. Yeah, that's right. That, that's yeah, that's what I I knew about this one. Yeah, it's it's just done work, you know, on a tabletop. Or like you said, they don't synergize with each other, which is a shame. It, like I said, it's not really a start yeah. collecting; it's more an add-on box, isn't it? Really, <laughs> more yeah. than anything, yeah. it's sort of it's almost similar to some of the the battle forces you see around Christmas time, where they mm. you know some synergize well, but some don't. Where they're just units thrown together in a box and like yeah. i said it's good if you've you know if you own quite a bit and you just need a few more of some of these kits whereas like i said if you're starting you well like you said you wouldn't want to start with this this would be something you get later down the line so yeah which is yeah you know the way it goes so right yeah. so next is gray water fastener so the other cities mm. of sigmar one so again this is quite a recent one but obviously it's a you know collection of some of the older models so you this yeah, is one that comes this is, this is the <laughs> yeah, basically the Dwarden one. So this one comes yeah. with a Warden King, a Cogsmith, uh, ten Iron Breakers, and which can be d- uh, done as the Iron Drakes, which is the ones with the the mm-hmm. ranged weapons, uh, or it can be a gy- uh, sorry, you get a Gyro Bomber as well, which also can be mm. a Gyro Copter. So again, yeah, yeah, I mean it's again similar to the Anvil Guard one, but I think if obviously if you're interested in kicking off a Dwarden based cities of sigma mm. force then again it's a good little range actually you know because obviously yeah. and it's some, and they yeah. hold up well oh yeah the the iron breakers are some of the battle warhammer fantasy models they they stick around really well i think yeah and you know it's cool it's steampunk dwarves mixed with old school dwarves because the iron breakers <laughs> yeah. are like really traditional dwarves and the warden king is a really traditional dwarf and then you have the classic warhammer goofiness of oh we've got a hot air balloon helicopter with bombs and like a steam cannon at the front, and here's a dwarf with a gun. 
Or he's <laughs> lots of doors with guns if you build the uh, the Iron Drakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's it's a flexible kit. Again, like some of the mm. others, really. It's good that, you, as I said, you've got the, the choice of making those. So, yeah, I think, again, I suppose thematically works really well. You've got a nice... Mm. A nice range you've got a nice choice of some of the kits uh they hold up well so yeah i think this one if again if if you want to do duardin it's solid i think yeah um, yeah right um let's go underwater let's see what the yeah the have to offer so eels, this is the one eels, where it comes eels. with <laughs> eels you say uh so Start this is collecting one... eels <laughs> so this is what it comes with the uh, Ishran soul render comes with the uh, 10 Namati thralls and then it comes with three Archelian guard which can be Morsar guard so that's your you know obviously your two different mm. eel units as well um this one's pretty good to be fair uh the soul yeah. render is okay not amazing yeah. as a as a unit no. I mean it looks great I think it's a, a really good mm. kit but uh on the tabletop it's okay you wouldn't want many of these uh no, but obviously the better one. part of the kit is yeah, it's obviously the the thralls and obviously the mm. eels, which are obviously very you know big staples of Deepkin. So yeah, I think this is yeah. not not bad, not bad not as bad. a kit. And the, it helps. There's some really good models overall. Like yeah. Soul Render, as you said, he's not amazing, but he looks awesome. The thralls yep. look great, and the mm-hmm. eels also look great. And it helps. Yeah. The eels are incredibly strong. Yeah, that too. <laughs> exactly. Again, it's, you know, I know obviously we're looking at the box as a whole, but knowing that these boxes get broken down for, you mm. know, to be sold on like eBay and such, like, again, it's, you know, cheaper ways to pick up, you know, multiple yeah. yields, you know, from this sort of kit, really. So, yeah, again, you know, it's a limited model range, like a lot of some of these elf ones are, but I think, you know, what you get in it, it's, it's one of those where, I think you, even with the multiple soul renders, you know, because you could always sell those off, it's one of those where you, you'd consider, I think, getting a few of these boxes because, mm. again, you know, mm. because you want multiple eels and obviously having multiple thralls as battle line is not a bad thing because obviously you can base certain deepkin armies off that if you're not going full eels, basically. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's uh, it's solid. Right. Okie dokie. Right. That's what's next. So next is Iron Jaws. Iron Jaws. Yeah. Orcs, 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 orcs. Orcs, 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 orcs. You get a war chanter. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's pretty cool. Uh, you get three Gore Grunters and ten Ard Boys. Yeah. Um, this is a pretty decent box, mm-hmm. honestly. The Gore mm-hmm. Grunters, from, by all accounts, are absolutely incredible. Yeah. They are like the meat and potatoes of this box. The Ard Boys are a decent, cheap, uh, numerous battle line as opposed to mm-hmm. boots. And yep. the War Chant is a decent support hero. Like, a couple of boxes of these and a mega boss either on the on the uh cauliflower or not um would make a decent army i think yeah the cauliflower yeah i i genuinely i think this is one of the best boxes i think because i think it's mm. so strong really because and also value because again i'm a bit out of the oh, loop yeah. when it comes to the 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 uh the war clans, but I remember that the war chanter was one of the best units they have. It was ridiculously mm. strong. Again, it may have changed because again, I'm a bit out of the loop. Um, obviously the Ard boys are battle line and often get chosen over brutes because they're a bit better and cheaper overall. And like I said, mm. those gore grunters, solid unit and then, and they're really expensive. They're again, they're one of those where they're almost yeah. the price of the start collecting box by themselves. Yeah. <laughs> so again, this is another one where, where buying multiple of it, you could, you know, it's not a waste at all. It's good having oh, yeah, a few war chanters, yeah. obviously having multiple R boys and then having, you know, six to nine 
gore grunters mm. is a you know real you know real smash in the face unit as well yeah, so yeah, yeah definitely one of the best i think <laughs> and you know properly really cool models as well so oh no, yeah yeah definitely definitely good on that Super nice right all right so uh, caradron overlord mm. so uh you get da, 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 you get an endron master five grunstock thunderers three sky wardens and a grunstock gun hauler mm. um I have uh, not much experience with Caradron Overlords. Apparently, this is okay, but not great. Yes, is what I've heard. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's sort of what I heard. Um, I should know more because my mate Martin really is into his Caradron, <laughs> but their 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 stuff doesn't doesn't seem to absorb in my brain for some reason. Um, yeah. I don't know why. Um, but yeah, I understand. From my understanding, is it's a good kit, but not a great kit in the sense. I mean, yeah. model wise. If you like Caradron, then you get oh, a lovely yeah. range. But purely from a tabletop perspective, I think my understanding is that obviously the the gun haulers are okay, but you want some of the other ones like the ironclad as your mm. as some of your floaty, you know, vehicle units. Um the engine master is okay, but not amazing, I don't think. I think it's yeah. okay, but there's some better units. The ether chemist is better, I believe. Yes, that's it. Ether chemist. And and then like I said, the you know, obviously your Thunderers are good because obviously they're, you know, they're battle line from what I understand. And then obviously your Sky Wardens, which is a multi-kit as well, because I think there can be engine riggers, I think is the yes. other one they can be built as. So again, they have their uses. So yeah, it's it, thematically spot on. I think tabletop, it's sort of a an okay uh, from what, hmm. again, limited knowledge is. So, right. Okay, let's move on to... Skulls for the Skull Throne again. So yeah. this is the the Bloodbound. Oh, I said it right. I didn't say Bloodborne. Bloodbound <laughs> Gore Blade Warband. <laughs> so yeah. um, this is the kit that or would have comprised the very original AOS start collect not mm. start collector box, but the original AOS uh, gate. Set. You know, but yeah, starter set. Yeah. So with the with the Stormcast, so obviously they mm. basically lumped them all together in a yeah. uh, in one box uh, uh this is a good one this uh, this is one yeah. where you get the, the mighty lord of corn yeah uh, a blood secretor a blood stoker a corgorath uh, five blood warriors and 10 blood reavers it's really mm. good and it's cheaper as well it's even cheaper yeah. it's, it's only it's 50 a quid over cheap it start collecting box yeah and <laughs> you're getting a good range of stuff because you're getting stuff mm. that you can't get anywhere else uh, in their range, like the Lord of uh, Lord of Corn, Blood Crater, Blood Stoker, and the Corgarath, you cannot get separately outside of yeah. this box. It's the only well, way of getting them. You could you could get the Blood Crater and the Lord of Corn separately in a box together for a oh, bit. Oh, yes, they you're stopped, right. I think they stopped st- stocking that. Yeah, I forgot that existed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I forgot about but that yeah, anyway, yeah. this this is what you want. Um, before the most recent Blades of Corn book, you wanted this even more because Blood Secretors were apparently completely nuts then, and they've yeah, been they reined were. in. They've been reined in a bit relatively recently, but they're still really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is yeah, this is the building blocks of a mortal corn army. You want this? Yeah. Slap on another box of Blood Reavers and a couple of boxes of Blood Warriors, and you've got a decent mm. force. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think and I think this all is the really good awesome. One. They, yeah. they're fantastic <laughs> models it really yeah. helps that they're so good <laughs> yeah it's one of those where from an actual customization point of view i think it's only really the mighty lord of corn who obviously can be uh corgus cool 
if um, mm. you want. It's basically the same model, but obviously he's got two different uh, War Scrolls, and whereas the rest of the kit is pretty much, you know, you haven't really got any other options. But like like you said, you've got really solid options. Like I said, you've got two battle line units that are really good mm. that you're going to want. You're going to want the Blood Craters, even though they're not as good as they used to be. Uh, and like I said, it's a, it's a good way of getting these, these kits that you wouldn't get elsewhere. And like you said, the fact you would, you know, get them at the, probably the cheapest uh, start collecting box you can get at 50 quid over here so yeah, yeah sort very very solid that one uh yeah right. yeah okay let's go back to nurgle and start with yeah. the maggot pin of nurgle uh oh, a kit we're both so <laughs> familiar with <laughs> <laughs> so uh right so with this one you get the uh the lord one lord of blights you get five blight kings and you get the two Puscoil Blight Lords, obviously one of those can be built as the a Lord of Affliction as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this box, I must admit. It is so good. Oh my really god, it's so need. good. Yeah, this is if you're if you're doing non-demon Nurgle in Age of Sigma, you want Blight Blight uh Blight Kings and nothing yep. else. Yeah. You want no, let me rephrase it. You want a couple of units of Puscoil Blight Lords. And then you want to soak the board in blight kings and feculent <laughs> narmors. Um, <clears throat> it also helps. I should say that the, 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 uh, putrid blight kings kit is one of the best kits Games Workshop has ever produced. Yep. Uh, right. in terms of sheer versatility, in terms of spare parts, like mm. I bought, I bought a putrid blight kings box near the start of this show. I think in like the third or fourth episode, I talked about buying it mm. and. I am still using bits from that box. <laughs> like I use, I used yeah. one a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. I pulled it out and then, oh yeah, for a contemptor, you know, stick this here, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's it's such it's a good so kit. good. Yeah. yeah. Um. Then the Lord of Blights is a super cool hero. Um. Again, I got one. I used it entirely for bits, but they were well used. They're good bits. Um. And a pretty good one because you can get ranged attacks off of him if I'm yeah, remembering correctly. That's right, yeah. Yeah. Has our grenades uh for the Blight <laughs> Kings to throw. Um and and then the the Pusco Blight Lords hit super hard. They mm-hmm. are big tanky messes, and I love them. <laughs> yeah. I'd agree with that. I no, this is an absolute solid kit. I you anyone who listens to this show knows how much I like the Blight Kings as a as a mm. as a kit. I've got 20 of them i think and I, like you yeah. i've got so many extras that <laughs> i still use i've used them recently i've been working on my death guard that is how mm. my contempt of dreadnought has got a lot of the yeah. stuff i've got a blight king yeah. on one of their shoulders God's <laughs> sake. so it's <laughs> it, it's such a diverse kit and like you said the 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 lord of blights is really good because obviously he's sort of the other one uh, to the lord mm. of plagues so you, you know often some people have both or or one of each of those lords because they do slightly different things but they synergize yeah. well with other yeah. units. And, and like I said, the, the, the Puscoil Blight Lords is a really good kit. I've been playing with that as again, it's the wings are going to help me build my demon prints for my, mm-hmm. uh, for my death guard, admittedly. But Excellent. yeah, as a, as a, <laughs> as a, as a kit, it's fantastic. It really is. I, I love this star collecting box. I know you don't mm-hmm. get many models, but you're getting models that really oh, yeah. count. Yeah. And to be fair, you can, like I said, again, it's one that it doesn't harm to have a couple of these. Cause again, Oh, yeah. Having more Blight Kings is one of the best things ever. Yeah. Having obviously more of the of the Puscoils is good because then you can start mm. having one of them as a Lord of Affliction if you want and then use some of the rest mm. as as Blight Lords. And then like I said, even if okay, you get two you'd have a couple of Blight um Lord of Blights, but you know, you can always yeah. convert one of those into 
into something else. You mm. can make them even, you know, towards a, a harbinger of decay or something like that. Yeah, you, know, you could yeah. get creative or, or even yeah. you know, mix it up. I've seen um, Death Guard, uh, Chaos Lords mm. made out of, out of that oh, unit yeah. as well. So, you know, you've got a lot yeah, of versatility. Fair. It's really, really good. Yeah. And even price-wise, the Pusco Blight Lords separate from this box are so ludicrously expensive <laughs> that are. this box this box almost gives you the Blight Kings for free. It's yeah, the Blight but... Lords and the Lord of Blights make up the cost of the box, more or less. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. It's really crazy good. value. It's really good value overall. Um <laughs> oh. Well, let's move on to one I'm very familiar with. It's start collecting malignants. Mm. Uh, this I forget was, this, this exists. Was, I believe, yeah, <laughs> a lot of people do. I believe this was the first uh, Age of Sigma start collecting box I got right before mm-hmm. uh, second edition launched when I was like, I'm going to do Nighthorn. And then I got talked into doing sort of a little mini narrative tournament at the store in a week's time. And I built this entire kit plus a bunch of other Nighthorn <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to take part in. Um, now, this is a box... That is very out of place, I think. It's got mm. three spirit hosts, five hex rates, and uh get the name right for this dang ding dang thing. Um a mortis engine. Yes. So, um the spirit hosts, very good in Nighthorn. Uh very fiddly kit, but very good in Nighthorn. The hex rates, very old kit, but pretty decent in Nighthorn. Mm-hmm. They don't really fit the overall aesthetic anymore they're more like skeletons than ghosts but it's fine i guess uh the mortis engine cannot be used in the nighthorn army and neither can the uh the coven throne its alternate build um so there's that <laughs> it's, it's literally not allowed uh mm. lady Ollander doesn't appreciate necromancers enslaving <laughs> banshees i guess um but those weren't the rules when I bought this, and this was a fun little basis for a, a little sort of thousand point ish army uh, yeah. back for Age of Sigma Second Edition hit. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say the Mortis Engine kit is super cool. Um, yeah, you could do uh, you could do a really cool Night Haunt conversion with that sort of cavalcade of ghostly cavalry. Uh, it's also got three vampires if you want to do some soul blight on the side. Yeah. it's got three yeah. vampires in the kit. Uh, or if you build the Coven Throne, you have a free Necromancer. So, hey. <clears throat> uh, it's, it's better for generic death, but it's technically a Nighthaunt box, I guess. Kind of. <laughs> <laughs> but it's yeah. also one of the really cheap ones. You get your value for your money. Um, it's just rules-wise, these things don't gel super well mm. together. Yeah. I, I, I think I... Like, like I said a minute ago, I, I forget this one exists, unfortunately. Mm. Like I said, I think there's, I think I was thinking about this earlier. I think it's two start collecting boxes I always forget exist. One for AOS, one for uh, mm. 40K. This is the AOS one I forget. And the 40K one is the Tempestus Scions ones that I always forget that they have a start collecting box as well. Um, but then they're Imperial Guard, so uh, they mm. they go over my head. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I think... Like aesthetically, it's a really nice kit. Uh, it's just like you said. I I suppose I'm not really down with that side of the uh, the death armies. And like you said, it's a bit in sort of you know no man's land, no Nagash's land. And I suppose maybe if Nighthawk get a proper start collecting box, they may mm. you know it may get updated or moved aside again. It, they may do similar to what they've done with the the Seraphon when we 
get to them shortly that where they sort of yeah. you know have sort of two kits to choose from but they do a proper night haunt one and then obviously have the malignants if you you know i suppose it depends also what they do with legions and the gash as well because that needs updating that seems a bit all over mm. the place really uh death seems a bit all over the place i would say actually um apart from feck and um what they called mm. uh the bone reapers so who yeah. obviously don't have a kit uh start collecting box yet but i'm sure they will do eventually so yeah bit of a funny one that but it looks yeah. cool it looks cool oh, yeah um right well actually let's talk about the lizard boys next then Seraphon. <laughs> oh no, this is a defi- this is a divisive yeah. kit. <laughs> this is this is also one of those famous oh you tried to buy a carnosaur, we sent you a star collecting kit box. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because again, for a long time the carnosaur was as if as as mm. expensive, if not more expensive than this star collecting box. Yeah. Um the carnosaur is the only model I really like in this box. Yeah, wouldn't disagree with you. <laughs> um Get the actual description. We've got uh, an old blood on Carnosaur, eight Saurus knights, and twelve Saurus warriors. Um, see, the Carnosaur <laughs> model is so cool, and it also technically builds a skink hero on foot, or you could build it as the troglodon and have the That's right. old blood on foot, uh, which is really nice. I've bought and built one of these. I bought it to make a T Rex for D and D. It's actually a really good kit. It's super mm-hmm. awesome, goes together super nicely. Uh, decent level of spare bits, actually. Um, the Saurus Warriors are, I think, almost as old as me. The <laughs> Saurus Knights are about half my age. They don't, they don't look good. No. Uh, part of it, part of it is the Games Workshop paint job, I believe we've discussed in the past, but. That's right. Also, the Saurus Knights, I've noticed there's no, there's no close up of the Saurus Knights Games Workshop. <laughs> Funny that. You don't want us. You don't want us looking at the banana finger velociraptors. <laughs> um, yeah, they're not great. They're not. Great. No, no. <laughs> it's a shame, really. I mean, I I own this kit, and I I've sort of halfway mm. through uh, dealing with it ages ago. But it, I've sort of got stuck in the mud with this kit and Seraphon in general because it's a shame. Mm. I love Seraphon. I love when their book came out, but I'm struggling with these older models. Uh, ultimately, yeah. They 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 haven't. I know. And I agree because obviously I, I, I think I'm raised the point of, like I said the, mm. the paint jobs don't do them justice. If you do a better paint job than the GW ones, you can make them look better, but they still look quite goofy. Unfortunately, mm. I don't think you can really get away from that. Um, the and because they're an older kit, they're they're not the greatest to put together. To be honest, yeah. they've got they're very sort of heavy mold lines and things like that, very fiddly or fiddlier than you expect they're going to be. Um, the knights, yeah, they look very goofy. Obviously, they the the units in as in those main ones are knights and the the warriors they're at funny numbers because obviously they're based on the old mm. warhammer fantasy kit so you're getting 12 when you need you know in units of 10 and obviously the knights come in units of five so it's yeah. fine obviously if you get a few of them because you can start you know obviously amalgamating some of them but ultimately yeah it's not it's a shame really it's just it's mm. showing its age. Like I said, the Carnosaur is still really good. Uh, the units themselves on the tabletop are fantastic. Warriors are really oh, good. Yeah. Knights are really good. Yeah. It's just, unfortunately, it's one of those where it's the opposite of some of the other <laughs> boxes where it's okay, rules, yeah. amazing models. It's it's the other way around in this you know case, unfortunately. So, yeah, it's a bit low down the pecking order. But if you're collecting Seraphon, you're going to want to get... Mm you know, one or two of these without a question, really, unfortunately, you just got to put up with the yeah. older models. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right, we'll move on to start collecting Skaven Pestilence. Mm. Oh, oh, oh. 
Um, this one's pretty decent. Uh, so what do we got? We have da da da. We've got a plague furnace, a plague claw catapult, and twenty plague monks. Um, now the plague furnace can double over as a uh, as a screaming bell. It's mm-hmm. a super cool kit. Uh, if you choose to build a screaming bell, you'll get a plague priest on foot, which is nice. Um, but now, now see the box doesn't mention this because it's a pestilence focused box, but because you're going to be building a plague furnace, you will get a gray seer that you can use, which is actually really nice. You get a priest and a wizard. Mm-hmm. Um, the plague claw catapult, I believe is the same kit as the warp lightning cannon as well. Um, and then the plague monks don't double as anything, but they are plague monks. Uh, they were the terror of Age of Sigma for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, they were. <laughs> <laughs> um, now the the plague claw kit and the plague furnace kit are both absolutely gorgeous. Uh, they are from like the big Skaven update before the end of Warhammer Fantasy Battle. They are mm-hmm. awesome kits. The plague monk kit is quite a bit older, but it's not bad. Uh, I've used it for Death Guard cultists actually. Um, it's oh, got yeah, a lot of nice that? bits. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Got a lot of nice bits, and the detail isn't awful, but they're very definitely, like, older. They, they, they show their age. Um, but the other the other two kits are absolutely awesome. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say. I, I, I'm, again, unfortunately, they're one of these factions that I never really uh, absorb, uh, sort of Skaven, really. So, yeah, I always, again, it's one, it's one of those where it's, I suppose, you're getting a good a good mix and i suppose if i suppose pestilence is that what people are doing for skaven or are they sort of uh, more I don't, i'm not again a bit out of the loop when it you, comes to skaven. you either go heavy pestilence or you go heavy scryer seems mm. to be the big thing yeah because you know scry get a bunch of warp lightning cannons and weapon teams and just dish out mortal wounds like nothing else or you go pestilence yeah. and drown people in plague monks uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So for 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 doing a pestilence theme skaven, this is a pretty good box. Mm-hmm. Uh, for any yeah. other kind of skaven, it's so so because you don't yeah. really want plague monks outside of um pestilence skaven. You have better battle line choices if you're not focused on buffing them. Yeah, sounds about right. Okay, cool. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. right. Okay, let's go over to skeleton horde. So mm-hmm. this is again another those kit, one of those kits you can easily forget about. Yeah, it was just a box of uh, fifteen contrast paints, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Uh, this is one that comes with uh, Arkan the Black. Obviously, can be the other two vampire type yep. heroes, which is obviously uh, Manfred and Neferata. Yeah. So again, it's one of those kits where. You know, that one model is almost the price of the box, but then obviously yep. you get 10 <laughs> skeleton warriors and five black knights. Uh, it's a kit showing its age, especially when it comes to the skeletons and the yeah. black knights. Uh, again, it's a bit like the malignant uh, box where it's a bit yeah. in limbo to a degree. Mm. It's almost like you'd get this box if you wanted Arkan or one of the other two heroes and you're like, oh, well, while well, I get the box, I'll happily have yeah. The, yeah. the skeletons and the... Yeah, the, uh, the Black Knights like, as well. Uh, yeah, because like skeletons aren't bad. No, nope. like if you're if you're doing Legions of Nagash and you're not taking Nighthorn units for some reason, mm-hmm. you would probably take skeletons to fill your battle yeah. line. Yeah. I have never, since the inception of Age of Age of Sigma, ever seen anyone running Black Knights. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, the, it's the same kit as the Hex Race kit. Again, it's got lots of nice bits, but it is a bit old. 
Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just, it's a shame really. Cause again, it's just, it, it would have been quite cool once upon a time, but I think, yeah, it's a mm. bit like the Seraphon one where it's like, yeah, again, it's like, you got the car, what would be the equivalent of the Carnosaur unit where it's like, yeah, okay, mm. they're still holding up. Whereas the others are sort of lagging behind a bit. I mean, it's yeah. got some options really. I suppose I've seen people take the black knights and turn them into blood knights. If you wanted to roll, Oh, yeah. uh, soul blight you know again you've got to do a mm. fair bit of work but it's not undoable because blood knights are horrendously expensive for what they are yes. so you know yes. but we'll see what happens <laughs> with vampires again i think again putting aside obviously the recent uh release of the bone reapers i think death needs a bit of a kick up the ass to be honest when it comes yeah. to releases it's still it's shown its age a bit and yeah i think they need to sort yeah. of legion the gash really sort of what yeah they want that to be long term but yeah we'll see like yeah, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, back to lizards, though. Mm. Start collecting skinks. Uh, people yeah. love this box. I love yeah. this box. It's a very cool yeah. box. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you get uh, a skink star priest, a mm-hmm. full unit of skirmishing skinks. They're not giving me numbers. There we go. 12 skinks. 12. There we go. Yeah. Three pterodon riders or ripodactyl riders. Mm-hmm. Um, and one bastilodon, mm. which is pretty cool. Yeah, um, this this is good. Yeah, this is pretty good. Um, you can build pterodon chiefs or ripodactyl chiefs from the pterodon riders. Are those hero choices? Because I don't yeah. remember them from the yeah. No, they're hero choices. But the problem is, you, it's one of those where you then what do I do with the other two models? Ah, uh, yeah. You know, fair. you're just taking one because obviously they come in units of three. So yeah, yeah. It's, obviously you can build them, but yeah, you're sort of mm. you're struggling. With that side yeah. of things, but I think overall it's a really good kit because obviously the oh, star yeah. priest looks really good. Uh, it looks more of a modern type seraphon mm. uh, model, and it's well, really good it, unit. It is obviously, more modern, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, uh, the the skinks are, are cool. You know, okay, you know, they, mm. they've I've, I've built thirty of them. They hold up well, to be fair. Even <laughs> yeah. though they're older, they're not too yeah. bad at all. The Bastilodon yeah. is an amazing looking model, oh, yeah. and yeah. obviously the the uh, the right, you know, the, uh, mm. yeah, they're so cool. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's solid. It's a very solid. Oh kit. yeah, and it's much better than Seraphon one in lots of ways. Yeah. Actually, yeah, especially There's a reason the it's uh, out of stock online. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. Right, okay. Let's Ooh, get chaotic. Let's block. Yeah, mm, slaves to darkness. Um, I've oh. I've owned this kit. Or still own it yeah. technically. Uh, so this is one that comes with the. The Chaos Lord on the uh, Karkadrak, uh, five Chaos Knights and ten Chaos Warriors. Now, now this is an interesting box, obviously, for mm. a couple of reasons. Uh, a, this is the only way you can get some of these units, or at least the, the newer versions of these models. Mm. Uh, it's all push fit to, to yeah. that sort of easy to build, which... Uh, in the case of the Chaos Knights, is horrendous. It's one of the worst yeah. kits I've ever tried to put together, and I... <laughs> and that's comparing it to things like blood letters. So, yeah. uh, but as a as a as a model range, they all look fantastic, and mm. they're all solid choices if you want to do slave startness or any of the other oh, yeah. chaos armies. Uh, I think this is one of the best. Mm. Putting aside my aggravation with the the, the knights <laughs> and how you build them, this is actually yeah. a very good kit for the tabletop. Oh yeah, I I agree. And just just I remember because this came out late last year, didn't it? Yes, right before yeah. Christmas. Yeah, right before Christmas. I remember the leak. The I, I think there was a leak of a blurry image of a Chaos Warrior, and then the next day was the big reveal, and mm-hmm. people saw this and went insane. I was one <laughs> of them because, like, yeah. 
new Chaos Warriors, absolutely incredible. They're push fit, yes, and they're only in this box, yes, but they're kind of a promise of what the future could be for all of these old out-of-date sculpts we've been talking mm-hmm. about. This is how good they could look with just a little love and attention, and uh, mm-hmm. hopefully that we'll get that. Uh, it is a super solid box. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and it's it's one of those where you're going to pretty much use everything in that kit. You know, Chaos yeah, Warriors yeah. are always really good. The Knights are really solid. That that Chaos Lord is really good, in you know, especially mm. in, in some armies such as Sanesh. Um, if oh, you want God, something yeah. a bit different, you know, well, they, they love those heroes in the head of knights. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's like I said, it's only, the only thing that drags it down is, is the way you build this kit. It's very, very yeah. good. The, the chaos warriors are pretty good. They're not bad at all. And the, the chaos Lord is fiddly, but pretty, pretty decent. I built it. It's actually, a, it's the knights that spoil it, unfortunately. Mm. But if you can get around yeah. that, it's a very, very good kit. Mm. All right. Uh, straight to back to order. Yeah, this is the Stormcast Eternals Thunderstrike Brotherhood. This is the mm. other half of the Age of Sigma first edition starter set. Yeah. Uh, you, you will get for yourself a Lord Celestin on Dracoth, a Lord Relictor, three Retributors with hammers, uh, ten Liberators, and three Prosecutors. Um, mm. this is pretty decent if you want to do a baseline Stormcast army. Yes. Uh, I know Liberators are less in fashion, so to say, these mm-hmm. days, people seem to prefer sequiturs, but they're still pretty fucking solid. Yeah. Um, Lord's Lesson on Dracoth, still a super good, super killy hero unit. Uh, Lord Relictor, this is the only way to get a Lord Relictor. That's right. Um, and it's again, good hero, and prosecutors are cool, retributors are awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty good box. Uh, and it's again, one of those much cheaper. Uh, start collecting boxes with mm-hmm. more models than the average one, which is always yeah. nice. <laughs> yeah, I think this is a good way of bulking out your Stormcast army because, like mm. you said, it's the it's the one that you know it's the cheapest value. You know, cheap sorry, not cheapest value, but cheapest to buy. Start collecting box along with the the corn one because again, it comes out of that same mm. starter kit. Uh, you get like I said, more units or more variation of units than you will would see with other boxes. And yeah, you're right. Obviously, we know that when they opened the the uh, sacrosanct chamber. We know that obviously mm. a lot of people running, you know, sequiturs and evocators and things like that, but these have all still got a place. And like I said, Lord Relictor, it's a yeah. way to get it. I think, you know what, if you're really into your storm cast, throwing down 50 quid to get this or even cheaper, maybe elsewhere. Yeah. It, yeah. You, you're, st- you're going to find reasons to use these units. So I think it's, oh, yeah. you know, and, it, and like I said, as a start collecting, I think, yeah, okay. You don't have to go sacrosanct way with, you mm. know, with Stormcast. You want to sort of go a bit more old school, then you're getting a good chunk of a, you know, an army, oh, yeah. you know, for a relatively Absolutely. low price. I think it's, I think it's really good. Really, really good. Mm. All right. Uh, more Stormcast. Ooh. <laughs> We've had one Stormcast, but what about second Stormcast? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Stormcast <laughs> Vanguard. Uh, so this was uh, this is our Stormcast Two Electric Lightning Boogaloo set uh, when they got their Vanguard update. There is a Lord Aqualor uh, on Griff Charger, a set of five Vanguard Hunters, three Vanguard Paladors on Griff Chargers, and three Griff Hounds. Um, mm-hmm. If you if you like the speedy stuff, this is a super cool box. The Lord Aqualor and the Vanguard Paladors, I think, are some of my favorite Stormcast models. Mm-hmm. They are yeah, super gorgeous, full of motion. Um, I'm, l- I'm less into the uh, the Vanguard Hunters, uh, but the Griffhounds are nice. Mm. 
<laughs> yeah. I think it's one of those kits where it's, it's again, similar to the other one where it's, it's a good one to bulk out an army. Mm. Like I wouldn't say this is necessarily the one you would use to actually kick off Stormcast. Maybe you would, but no. I'd probably yeah. it's more because again, it's a bit more specialist type units. Mm. Uh, whereas mm. you, you know, you still want your liberators, your secretors and things like that. So I think if you want in your, you know, obviously you're more, sort of uh, faster Stormcast units and things like that. Yeah. Or just want a bit yeah. of variation. It's a, that's when you would want to get this sort of kit, really. Um, but mm. no, I think it's it's good. It's good. Like I said, you've got, you know, four different units in it, which is really good. And it's good value because, again, some of these units oh, are yeah. cheap by themselves. So, mm. yeah, I don't think it's bad. Again, it's nice to have – I think it's not, it's a nice-to-have option more than anything, yeah. than a, an essential start collecting box. Yeah. So I think some of these boxes, you have – realistically, you're going to have to get if yeah. you want to – start an army of a particular type whereas ones like that are nice optional ones you know like oh yeah i fancy having some of those so um right right. okay so the well this on the page on the page this is the last one but it's not the last one because there's one more after that yeah filter's not showing (laughs) so (laughs) so this is the uh the sylvaneth one as next so this is the one where it comes with a branch witch a tree lord and 16 dryads so Mm. yeah this is a funny one as well. Um, yeah. Because I'm, I'm just thinking, so obviously the branch witch is good and you could yeah. then convert it if you had multiple to do a branch wraith, which is yeah. probably yeah. wouldn't be very difficult at all. Uh, the mm. tree lord is really good because obviously that can be a, um, what's it? Dirty. That's it. Yeah. And uh, which is or sort a of tree lord ancient. That's well. it. So, so you've got three, you know, three, types you can build from that and again it's one of those where it's expensive by itself so you know this is a, a cheaper way to get it obviously 16 dryads is because again it's overflow from fancy so that's why you've yeah. got a funny number but that's not the end mm. of the world you know because obviously no. if you've got two of these you'd have 32 you know so you yeah. got solid yeah, 30 exactly. there plus a few spares mm. because i've heard they're a real pain to to build because they're oh, fiddly yeah. and mold lines yeah. everywhere but no i think i think as a, you know for you know for Sylvaneth, which is again only got a, a slightly limited range, where you know obviously mm. you'd be wanting to add your you know your tree revenants and your your um your hunters and th- such like. I think this is a good start. To be fair, oh it's, yeah. You know, it's fl- yeah, it's flexible enough to be to mm. be a good start. I think. Yeah, to to start Sylvaneth, I would honestly just get two of these, make a big unit of thirty dryads. Yeah. Uh, have a Spirit of Durthu for a big, terrifying combat monster, have a Tree Lord Ancient for some spellcasting combat monster, mm-hmm. and then have, like you said, a Branch Wraith and a Branch Witch for the more supporty heroes, and then like build from there and add in some of the more specialist stuff. It, it's yeah. just solid. It's what Star Collector should be. It is the core of any average Sylvaneth army. You're going to yeah. have Dryads, you're going to have a Tree Man, you're going to have a Branch Witch. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, done. <laughs> yeah, no, that, you're right. That's that is the way it should be. So yeah, it's definitely a solid one. That uh, right, last one, which like I said isn't on the on the filter on the GW site, is actually Demons of Zinch. Obviously, they mm. don't want us want people to find this box for some reason. Uh, yeah. So uh, so this is a box that comes with the uh, Burning Chariot of Zinch with the optional Herald on foot. Comes with three flamers, three screamers, and ten pink horrors. Now, mm. this is a good one because you get obviously some very co- good core units as each, and you also get some good options as well. It's probably one of the most flexible ones you'll see. Obviously, Zinch is one uh, currently one of the most powerful AOS 
armies at the moment. Obviously, it's had a bit yeah. of a nerf and rules change, but it's still solid from what I understand. But obviously, you got you got your pink horrors, which obviously you're going to want. Obviously, the snag is you're then going to have to buy blue horrors and, and brimstones to go mm. with them. Obviously, you've got three flamers. Three, you know, flamers are one of the best units they've got. Uh, screamers are, from what I understand, are decent. They're not amazing, but they're they're a good yeah. thing to have. But then obviously, you've got the chariot, which is very you know flexible because obviously it can be mm. it it can be a herald on the chariot it can be a yeah. a exalted flamer on the chariot obviously you can use the the hero you don't use to make another hero so you can obviously have like a mm. a herald on there and then have the the exalted flamer to go with your flamers or you put the flamer on there and then you could have a change caster to then go with your some of the other units so you know mm. yeah it's it's good value because you get in a lot of the units you really want a zinch yeah yeah, it it feels really weird because it feels like out of the demons start collecting, only the corn one feels kind of subpar because the other ones are all great. Yeah, <laughs> and like I this one is that. especially good. But I'd say this and the Slanesh one for AOS are probably the best demon star collecting yes. boxes. Yeah, yeah. And then like yeah, but no, these are all these are all again cores if you're doing Zinch demons or summoning with Zinch mortals and stuff like that. Like it's all good. <laughs> yeah. Again, it's that unit variety. You either want really good units like the Maggotkin box, or you want a nice spread of things. Yeah, yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, talking of that, Cameron, we've come to the end, mm-hmm. so we need to pick a winner or winners. That's <laughs> which way you want to <laughs> go about this. So, yeah, I mean, is I mean, I know it's difficult, but is there any that you think yes, categorically, this is the best Ooh. box? I think I think for me it's coming down between two. Mm-hmm. I think it's coming down probably between Star Collecting Daughters of Cain and Star Collecting Maggotkin of Noble. <laughs> Sorry, that's two of the ones that I were in my mind. Oh, actually. Well there we go. <laughs> With Beast Claw Raiders tacked on as a as a close mm. third. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I I thinking about yeah. it, I think my if I had to put three three or four, it was gonna be Maggotkin, Daughters of Cain it was going to be Beast Claw and probably Feck. They were the, the four yeah. that I was going to put yeah. as the, the, the most. <laughs> um, I'm, right, I'm going to... Do you know what? I'm going to take yeah. Daughters of Cain out myself yeah. because I, I, it's it's solid for the reasons that we said earlier. I think the only thing mm. is it's it's lacking... It's got option, but it has, doesn't have much to it. Like, yeah. I think if no you... No only snack, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I'm going to... T- it's good... I look at it as this, like I said, it's the cauldron plus you get some extra stuff for a bit, you know, for around the same price. So I'm going to take that one out. So I'm down to Feck, Maggotkin, and Beast Claw. Um, yeah, I'm going to take Be- I'm going to take Beast Claw out because mm-hmm. again I like it, uh, but you're buying him generally for the. Um, the Stonehorn, really. The Mornfang yeah. are really good, but they're not amazing either. They're sort of, a, they're, again, thematic-wise and, and probably value, mm. but you're probably not going to want to buy lots of Mornfang, for example. So yeah. it's one of those yeah. where you could buy multiple of this start character box, but you're generally buying it for, like I said, the, the big the big uh, monster in the in the middle, basically. So I'm going to take that out. So I'm down to Maggotkin and Feck. Um, so should we say should we say Maggotkin because obviously Maggotkin yeah, I was think your it's Maggotkin. Yeah, yeah because it was your one so there we go I mean we're not biased at all that we no, both like Nurgle <laughs> but yeah I I think I think it is I think it's I think I know we're going slightly over what we said earlier but I think the fact mm. that you've got a range of 
really decent models that that really match what you're looking for. You've got one of the best units for Maggot King in the Blight Kings. You've got a, like I said, the Lord of Blight, which is a solid unit and hero that you're probably going to want to have or you can convert. And then, like I said, you've got the, the Puscoils, which are flexible and can be used for, and the whole kit can be used for a variety of things. So, yeah, mm. I think that's going to be our winner. Yeah, sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> it's a good there kit. we go. We did it. We solved the we hey. solved that problem for you guys in an hour or so. Oh we solved it. Yeah, we I, went... think the, I think it's our <laughs> longest discussion topic ever. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were sort of saying when it comes to obviously doing Avenging Sun, we're like, well, you know, it'll take a while, but, you know, we need something a bit meaty, yeah. and that was t- almost two hours long. So, yeah. you know, it's fine. We we'll managed fit. to do three Rain hours of, of talking about yeah. all this. Uh, <laughs> so here we are. Right, so... Yes, that is going to be the end of the episode because we've spoken for far too long now. Yeah, um, quite. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, hope you've enjoyed this episode. Like I said, we've got a plan for our next uh, ruin episode, obviously, which would be one of those AOS topics that we spoke about earlier. Uh, we've obviously got our realm episode that will be out, obviously, at, after this one, uh, which will be talking about what we've been up to recently, and obviously all the Warhammer news, which. As always, never stops. But uh, before mm-hmm. we get there, Cameron, where can people find you on that internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at night underscore twitten, uh, where I talk about the various trials and tribulations of my recent life. Uh, some other some other trucker stole the license plates off my car a couple of weeks mm. ago. And I'm still not over it. Um, but hey, hey, this is going to make people in the US who listen angry. I got a PS5 by accident. Oh, so congratulations, says. me! Yeah, you can hear me, <laughs> you hear me yell about that on Twitter and underscore Twitter, not without a K. Uh, if you want to see more of the model side of things, you can either check out our podcast Twitter page, or you can follow me on Instagram at realm underscore and underscore ruin. Which again, I gotta get to updating. I've been doing so much hobby stuff lately. <laughs> I've got it's hard to keep it all like up to date. <laughs> yeah, nice, easily done. Um, I mean, well, I, mm. I, I. I get to talk about painting stuff next episode, yeah. which is, feels Ooh, weird. So, um, yeah, I've actually <laughs> been doing something. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter as well at Ninja Badger Seven. As Cameron said, you can find our podcast Twitter on there, which is at Realm and Ruin. And as you you guys know, obviously all the links will be down in the description as well. So mm-hmm. that's been episode sixty two. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, be good to each other. Don't tell anyone yes. else how to enjoy their hobby. And as always, we'll catch you on the next one. Bye. Bye.